Disclaimer. The views and opinions you hear expressed by the participants in this show are not the views of AnimeNewsNetwork.com. Show tapes live most Thursdays, 5.30 p.m. on YouTube. Check out my Twitter feed, ANNZAC, for more. Enjoy the show. Or don't. I don't think it matters. Nothing matters. everybody, welcome to Ancast. I'm Zach Birchie. We're back again for another game show. We do like, I think at this point we do two of these a year. Joining me for our usual show right in the middle of E3 week, which I guess we're really not going to be spending that much time on E3, but I'm really happy to have these guys back. You know him as Dave Riley. He's the host of the Fast Writer for the Gentleman Podcast. You can find him at friendsfromtheinternet.com. And his book, The Dead Side Girl, which is good. I'm, I'm, I'm reading it right now. You should read it too. Amazon, The Dead Side Girl. It's good shit. Dave, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. And <laughs> thank you for the plug. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey, no problem. Uh, also joining us, his lovely wife, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're right. <laughs> <laughs> and a uh, partner on all of these, on all of these uh, internet adventures, it's Graziella Matty. Graziella, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. All right, man. It's E3 time. Uh, yeah. But I feel like we'll let we, we got to separate this into segments because the point and I I can't tell you how excited I am to talk about near I I am unbelievably excited to talk about that game but we got to talk about all this other stuff first because it has been like the craziest video game spring I can think of I have played more games in the last three months that I thought were some of the best video games I've ever experienced yeah uh, it's been amazing so I just want to know like. I'm going to start with Dave. What's the best game you've played in the last, like, six months? Oh, that's, that's a tough not the one. question I prepared for. Yeah, because, like, a, a member of our community, because I feel like on these podcasts, when we do the year-end one, I usually start whining about, like, oh, I don't even know if I have ten top games this yeah. year. And I feel like there's been at least half a dozen uh, in the beginning of the year. Uh, and the obvious hits like Persona 5, uh, I really like Prey that came out recently. Really? Uh, yeah, I felt like Prey was kind of came out of an alternate timeline where Bioshock never got made. And this was sort of like the modern take on what System Shock 2 looks like. Oh. Uh, so, it's, so it's really streamlined, uh, but not quite to the extent that Bioshock was, but it's like very... Uh, kind of systems-heavy, root-through-garbage kind of game. Uh, I've learned from the internet they call these immersive sims, which I don't feel exactly rolls off the tongue. But um, <laughs> it, it, it's got a really cool setup. It, it feels very kind of like... It, it's kind of unironic sci-fi. Not ironic, but, you know, sort of... It's not... It, it's a not a postmodern sci-fi game. It doesn't get cute Ernest? with it. It's not meta. That, like, yeah, it, I feel like it's not even as cute as like, you know, especially Bioshock Infinite was like so meta uh, <laughs> to the point of fault. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Uh, this, this is sort of like more straightforward. I wouldn't say it's like a quite a 70s sci-fi plot, but it's got a 70s vibe to it. Um, yeah. And it's like really difficult to talk about without 
spoiling even like the initial twist, which is really neat. But it, it feels almost like playing uh, like if you could imagine the difference between like practical effects versus like CG special effects in like an action movie. Prey feels almost like you're playing this game that was made entirely out of practical effects. And really? what I mean by that is just sort of like the attention to the environment is so uh, just cohesive. Uh, and and e- there are po- like all the areas are sort of connected in a way that's very obvious. And even though they are separated by loading screens, like there are there are points where you could sort of transition from area to area and it, you're on this space station and it really feels like somebody was like, all right, how does this space station look as a whole versus Bioshock, which is like, well, you have to take these like tube systems to get from place to place. This is like, you know, you can take the elevator up to this place. uh, You can go through this sort of shaft way that runs the length of the station, or you can just sort of like go outside and fly around and look at the whole thing. Uh, And it it kind of it starts with this thing where they essentially do this magic trick on you. Uh, and then they show you how they did the magic trick. They're, they're essentially like transitioning through you through maps and doing a lot of like smoke and mirrors stuff in the game, uh, which in a video game, of course, would be very easy to do because it's all like literal magic. Like, you know, if you need to teleport from one area to another, or rather if you need to trick someone to think they're teleporting from one area to another, in a video game, you just do that by changing the map. Hmm. Uh, and in this, it, basically, they fake a helicopter ride, uh, and then they show you how they faked it. Uh, oh, wait. Oh, you, right. But you're you supposed can, to, in in the moment, you believe that you are going through this, and it's yes. not until later so that you... So that's what's okay, cool about right, it, is that right, any right. video game would just be like, all right, we put you on this fake helicopter ride, uh, and then as soon as the helicopter door was shut, we put in the command, like, teleport user to map zero one or whatever. Uh, but mm. in this, like, you go through this fake helicopter ride, then 15 minutes later, you're walking through the space where they have practically set up this fake helicopter ride, and there's, like, a helicopter on a dolly that can move up and down, and all these, like, sort of 3D panels to simulate the environment. So you get to walk through and see how they've chained all these areas together. Uh, and that sort of feeds into how that the rest of the meta. game looks and plays, which is a really cool thing to do in one of these games that are primarily about exploring your environment and rooting in every nook and cranny and going through every ventilation duct and sort of stuff like that. Uh, it sort of gives you a real sense of place, which is what I really crave from these games that aren't open world games, but aren't really like linear corridor shooters. I, I really like these games that give you a certain sandbox, but it's not very large such that you can really kind of comprehend like every corner of it. Hmm. Uh, and I feel like prey is a really good example of those that I, I feel like it falls down a little on the systems. Like, you know, these days uh, you get like, you're, you're like, I picked up a shotgun and then I upgraded my shotgun to make it plus 10% shotgun damage. And that stuff kind of bores me, but hmm. the actual like picking through stuff and the primary enemy is this like sort of shape shifting tentacle thing that can turn into anything in the environment, uh, which is a great thing to do in a game where you root through every waste paper basket. So like you go to pick up a banana peel (laughs) and it's like a monster and it attacks you and then it runs away and turns into a chair. And then you're like, wait, were there two chairs in that room or one chair? Raccoon simulator. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I had sort of few of those experiences where I was just scared out of my skin because I didn't know if there were two photocopiers in the, in the office lounge or not, but it's still like sort of a neat, uh, 
principle. And it's made by the people who make uh, the Dishonored games, or at least the same company. And I feel like it shares a lot of similar ethos with those games. Uh, and those are sort of my bread and butter. I'd like, <laughs> I'd go so far to say it's almost my favorite genre. Really? And I feel like pray, like it's one of those games where you're just like, Shit. for at least for me, I'm like, oh, it's 1 a.m. And I've been playing this for seven hours. Okay. <laughs> uh, All right. I got a copy because, of like, this, so I should play it. It sounds good. Because like, I know exactly what you're talking about. There's a huge difference. I played System Shock 2 in college, like everybody did. And like. That's a great game, and when they were talking about this game, they were they, it's like everyone wanted to compare it to Bioshock, but then they couldn't. And like I've come to regard Bioshock as like, what if the Haunted Mansion were like a shitty hot take, like someone's crappy, <laughs> like someone's crappy political essay turned uh-huh. into like a theme park ride where you sit in a car and it takes you through these little you know vignettes. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much what Bioshock is. So like yeah, something I that's feel like that's a really good way to sum it up. Something that's a little bit more of an aesthetic exercise that it takes itself a little bit more seriously and like allows you to explore mm-hmm. and is a little bit gentler science. Like it's going for the hard, thoughtful science fiction. It's not like I mean, maybe you wouldn't call it smart, but you wouldn't call yeah. it dumb either. Maybe I don't know. Sure. I mean, I think most people will guess the twist. It's kind of interesting about it being like a post Bioshock game in that, like the first fifteen minutes, they're like, "Oh, that's what the twist was. We already showed you the twist. It's uh, okay. smooth sailing <laughs> from here." And you're like, "Yep, I bet it definitely is." Yeah. <laughs> uh, and like, I feel like there's only so many directions that could go, but it, it plays it pretty straight, and it isn't like smarmy about it, and really like, you know, look how smart we are. We sure pulled the wool over your eyes about mm. where this story was going. So I came away from it feeling like pretty satisfied with the ending, and. Uh, satisfied with the fact that you get like a little goo gun that you can use to make stairs on walls so you can climb like anywhere in the environment if you're patient enough. Huh. <laughs> and well. There's like a lot of neat stuff like that of like sort of being able to circumvent uh, the natural order of things or, you know, what video games present as the natural order of things. Nice. Well, that sounds really cool. I think I'm going to play that a little after the after we're done taping here. <laughs> it's I, really worth yeah. looking at. Yeah. I feel like it, it starts very quickly. Like you don't go through a lot of tutorials or stuff. Like you hit the round running. They give you that goo gun. You're immediately like, oh, there's a balcony up there, and I don't have a repair skill to fix this elevator. But uh, so it's full of like little stuff like that. You really feel like you have control over your environment in a way that I feel like those games kind of lost and then regained with stuff like Dishonored's uh, like teleport power and stuff like that. Yeah. And this goo gun. Yeah, see, I didn't like Dishonored just because it's a sneaking game and I can't play sneaking games <laughs> yeah, for whatever reason. This is much less too. that. I mean, there's some element of that, but I did not. I was just like, oh, the shotgun in this is very strong. Yeah. <laughs> and, like that carries you through most of it. Wait. The, the can't play sneaking games thing has only gotten worse because I'm trying to play through Metal Gear Solid again right now and I just yeah. it's I can't <laughs> like I can't. Well, Metal Gear it's... is also like. Uh, are you talking about Metal Gear Five? I'm, or like no, Metal I'm Gear talking about 1? Metal Gear Solid, the Twin Snakes, sure. the Twin Snakes so specifically. Like... I couldn't even move in that game. <laughs> I could barely move without flipping out and dying. Yeah, or yeah. getting like seen. Hold three separate like we, buttons to we, crouch. We, and... Yeah, we streamed that for a little while, and people were like, oh, "This is gonna be hilarious." No, and that was, was like... Metal Gear Two, where oh, you had to like hold five separate buttons yeah. to aim your gun in okay, first fine. person. Oh, Whatever. God. It was like funny for three minutes, and then everyone was like, "This is just <laughs> torture. I can't." Yeah. 
you. This no, is no. I did the same thing. I tortured a stream audience by not being able to do. <laughs> I, I had I, I like bashed my head against Revolver Ocelot for like an hour, and I was like, I'm so sorry about this, everyone. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I can't. I, Dishonored never really stuck with me because because of that. But uh, if Prey is uh, more of a system shocky type of thing, yeah, I got to check it out. Um, so that, 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 that's great. I'm glad, I'm glad you had Prey to talk about, um, cause I hadn't gotten a chance to play it at all. Um, Graziella, what, what would you say is like the strong, strongest experience you've had in the last, like, and last how long, yeah, you know, however many few months, beginning of the year. I mean, yeah, I feel like, I mean, I feel like mine's gonna be a lot shorter because it's probably been, it's done to death, but I, you know, Persona 5 is just, okay. you know, they've created, I, it, despite you know a lot of faults they've created like this incredibly like just lush visual tactile aesthetic experience that just for me it just won me over completely um it's sort of uh on a surface level and also mechanically just everything i've ever kind of wanted out of that kind of game so it just felt like it kind of bowled me over. Like I didn't, I expected it to be good and people said it was going to be good. And then it was just this, it felt kind of perfect in a lot of ways, Hmm. at least visually aesthetically that on that sort of like in that realm, it's just, uh, yeah, I was kind of blown away. That's cool. I, that game has been sitting next to my TV for, since it came out, I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, but I feel like like your 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 level of enthusiasm for it, I feel like I didn't hear that a lot. What I heard was a lot of like eh, like a lot of grumbling. Like once I didn't they got get that. like far enough yeah, into like it about, about sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying like that's what I started seeing was like you know this game isn't that good. Like if you get like two thirds of the way through it, it starts kind of falling apart. Um, that's what I was hearing a lot of, so it discouraged me from playing it. But it it sounds like. Maybe that's so up for debate. I do, well, I mean, okay. So that's the thing is I feel like story-wise and um, thematically the way it progresses is the way a lot of Persona games sort of progress. Like you deal with these individual sort of psychic or psychological issues of the main characters and then you arrive at like actually it's society. But like all of the, all that it offers is weird platitudes and it's like, no, we have to take back our own agency or whatever. And, um, I do feel like this one, and I, this isn't something that I actually, I think our, one of our friends sort of pointed this out. It's like, unlike Persona 4, where, um, you sort of accept social pressure and sort of your role in society, five at least, um, there's this gesture towards rejecting, rejecting sort of what society is expecting of you. And that's how you sort of awaken to the power of your persona. So, like, that's sort of a nice gesture at um, something that feels a little more liberating. And I'm not saying that, uh, yeah, again, the game stumbles a lot. And, yeah, it's just like with a lot of persona bosses or end bosses or whatever. It's just like, this is what, this is the, I don't know. A general, what's the young thing? Like the collective unconscious, uh, something mumbo jumbo, blah blah blah, and it's like kind of meaningless. And, mm. and that may tie into a little bit of the uh, 
the translation and localization issues that people oh, okay. have pointed out. <clears throat> so I feel like it really, it sort of does fall apart at, at that when it starts, the scope really broadens and your, your team of thieves is fighting something much larger than themselves. And they don't have much of a, um, substantive critique or reason for why they're doing it. Hmm. So that, but for me, that's like sort of incidental. Like I, I don't know. That's not what I go to the, that game for. And it is a little long, but I, I feel like I just enjoyed so much the actual playing of it all the way through that for me, that outweighed the usual persona sort of like foibles that those games have. Hmm. Um, huh. I also feel like it, it definitely sort of gets weaker. I, I feel like that's often true with these stories that start out very personal and then expand their scope. And it just so happens that like the persona games are long enough to do it all in one game versus something yeah. like mass effect doing it over the course of a trilogy and sort of like losing that personal touch. But like the, in the opening act of that game is like, I don't want to overhype it, but, I will say it's like astonishing by JRPG standards. It tackles some really like, rough, and we uh, somebody I read something where somebody was saying like these are actually a lot of the sort of main targets are sort of ripped from the headlines, mm-hmm. kind of um, news stories that will be immediately recognizable. So if people are like, oh, this is overblown, or oh, this is like, you know, cheesy, this doesn't happen. It's like, uh, no, actually, you know, people yeah. Yeah. there are abusive shitty people yeah i mean like i just you know i was sort of i was completely taken aback by the first uh, like five to ten hours of that game yeah i mean it hits you how directly it goes at like sexual assault and stuff like it barely uh i mean i feel like it i don't know i can't think of another well the reason why i said male was sexual assault because they i feel like they do dance around that the specifics of that yeah i mean yeah it's like sort of toned down a little for tv but like the lecherous teacher is like you're gonna have to come home with me otherwise your friend is that okay for spoilers or sorry I I, i didn't mean to interrupt you you could just start it over again but i didn't know if that was too specific or not like i don't know there's just a couple like like that they address that stuff at all as other than like, ew, there's a yucky pervert in our school yeah, exactly. is like astonishing. And it's just, again, it's like astonishing for a JRPG. <laughs> but <laughs> that's still, I feel like, a nah, I think that's with- I think you could credit that for just being good. Like, that's just yeah. good. It's not like video games in general have a long history of dealing yeah, with the know, actual just, impact of sexual assault. Just yes. knowing, like, the amount, like, it's it's like a linear chart or maybe even exponential one of, like, as the budget goes up, the inverse likelihood of actually discussing anything that might ruffle anybody's feathers or make anybody uncomfortable like right. just, it drops precipitously and that yeah that was what was interesting about that i mean this was a japanese person writing about it uh, about being like well this might seem sort of tame by your standards or by you know or seeing it without the context where this is a direct sort of like reference or critique of things happening or things that have recently happened and like it goes into some political stuff, like critique of, of the power of politicians. For me, it felt, you know, before I read 
read that it felt very milk toast and very generalized, but I don't know, like maybe it, um, maybe that's the localization again and it rings a little more forcefully in the original. Um, but yeah, overall I really enjoyed, <laughs> really enjoyed it. That's cool. So, so you liked it better than four. You feel like it's sort of the ultimate persona experience. It's hard to say. I'm, yes. I mean, like, ultimately, yes, because I feel like it offers so more, so much more on sort of a, again, aesthetic level. Like, it just feels like it achieved this synchronicity between its systems and its, like, aesthetic that is just, like, so just pleasurable to participate in. Um, four, I mean, I love four, even though I hate four. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's just, it, yeah, going, and we went, uh, I've been, we've been streaming some, of, or we finished, we actually finished it. We finished streaming Persona 4 Golden after, like, streaming it for, I think, over the course of, like, two years, maybe. <laughs> um, and, like, going back, yeah, there's, like, all the characters, the characters are really uh, just iconic. Um, and maybe, I don't know, like some of that, I, I, the characters in this feel a little more washed out or a little less developed to some extent, but, um, but ultimately five overall is just a much more cohesive and sort of like impressive experience. I I think the writing is generally a bit cleaner too, like sort of qualms with localization aside, Going back to Persona 4 Golden, you were like, wow, like I sandpapered down some of these edges in my mind (laughs) over the past (laughs) almost 10 years. Uh, Just like, you know, I I love a good Chie. (laughs) I feel like some of the writing in that game, some of the cutscenes are very long. It it feels a lot more juvenile in a lot of ways, um, which is fine. It's just, um, I don't know, it's different. And the game's like, like a decade old at this point. Yeah, yeah. Persona <laughs> Five has its issues too. I feel like it falls into some of the same shit. It's really weird about some of its women, like just yeah. like like sort of the pervy angle with some of the women. Yeah, that's uh, really the sort of general like gay panic stuff that is always in those games. Uh, there's a like yeah, there's like <laughs> two specific characters, and I actually saw somebody write it. It, it was interesting. Um, shit, I forget her name. Naomi Clark. Naomi Clark. Yeah, she was pointing out something really useful. She was like, "Hey, if you're wondering where these sort of like weird, predatory gay stereotypes come from, it was like a discomfort around '80s uh, television, specifically. Shit, I forget now. Sorry. That's <laughs> okay. Do you remember, Dave? No, I don't remember the actual. Well, it was there was discomfort about around, I think. Oh, um, sort of variety TV. Yeah, they were like Mm -hmm. talent Right. And and like there was a sort of resurgence. And I know this, the the backlash apparently was really strong and still pretty pervasive. So if anyone wants to look into that, I don't know. I found that pretty interesting. Naomi Clark seems to be pretty uh, informed on yeah, so, a lot of shit. She's pretty rad. Um, <laughs> so that's but that stuff was basically unending in Persona 4. Like one of the main characters was just like, whoa, man, no homo, no homo. Like yeah. every scene well, in, in yes, this, you know. can't you get like a couple scenes with these like really specifically flamboyant in like a Japanese TV kind of way, gay characters and predatory. Like they're uh, they're And you're just bad. like, why is this still here? Yeah. Like, like what are you doing? Uh, it's a, like, so what you, is this in just, service you, of? You like, cannot what are you excuse it. 
like I don't want to make excuses for it. No, there is uh, no excuse. Or I want to like terrible you, or math. like you know like I don't want to be like well that's bad, but I sure love this video game. <laughs> like you know I feel like those things you just you gotta hammer them in every time because like otherwise they don't go away or people are like oh just chill out what's the difference well like, yeah, i mean i, I always yeah i always subscribe to the thing that like of course it's fine for you to enjoy something that has stuff in it that's maybe oh, yeah. bugs you just so long as you talk about it and and make sure people know how you feel about that stuff yeah you know? Yeah, exactly. like I just sort of wonder what's to be gained in a lot of cases especially it especially surprises me because i feel like Persona is one of those series where the uh, like gender split is pretty close to even. You uh, mean in the audience? Yeah, like you know stuff like Fire Emblems and Tales are also like that. So I just wonder, like, I don't know. It's not like it's women just... aren't also homophobic. No, no, no. Sorry, I'm, I'm specifically talking about like the, the creepy, pervy stuff with On, who's like the sexy right. Hafu character. Uh, where that like all the male characters of the party are like always perving on like every six hours like clockwork. There's a scene where they're like trying to peep on her or something. Uh, and I wonder if it's just sort of inertia uh, that they're, yeah. like, the I audience mean, loves like it. It's right? lazy writing is what it, a lot of that comes down to. I feel like because just like, oh, these are tropes that we use. It's like a way to I don't know. I mean, like, obviously, the cultural context is different, not to excuse anything. It's just like. This is a trope we used in order to convey like, oh, they're cute and they want to go to the bath scene and look at have the bath scene where everyone yeah. like looks at each other. And like, it <laughs> it's just is, like- I mean, like, and there is something I don't know, like in the abstract, you could be like, they're teenagers, they want to look at each other or whatever. But the way they do it is incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, and it just sort of uh, makes to... these characters like bad people. <laughs> and you're like, well, well yeah. why do I want to sympathize with this character? They're like they do all these shitty things to their so-called friends. <laughs> like it's just like they have to remind you. Like yeah. so you can't get away from it. And like specifically like like the sort of you know your like Ibo like partner character uh who's like you're always your sort of like secondary dude first party member. Yeah. Uh, is Your milk toast dude, bro, friend. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, in all of the games, and I feel like the, like this one was the least shitty for the longest. Yeah, and then in the eventual part, you're like, you suck just like the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, you and they like. I feel like you know, there's like a lot of talk around Persona Four, like that the uh, Yosuke's homophobia, like maybe at some point was like supposed to culminate in the fact that like he comes out to you or he confesses to you in the Japanese sense. Uh, and like that audio is on the disc. It's like not even like it was in. Right. They like, actually wrote it and like, recorded, recorded it, it right. uh, and didn't use it. So like, you know, you wonder how much of this stuff is sort of just, you know, legacy or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I feel like when persona comes up now, I feel like this subject is typically what I wind up, hearing like th- this is typically yep. the the conversation that i that i wind up hearing and like i i feel like that stuff is uh important to discuss in context and everything uh but i've I pretty firmly fall down on the side of like look like people love love these games and yeah. like it it's not you're not excusing that stuff by contextualizing it and continuing to enjoy the game like i don't think that's excusing it i think that's confronting it and yeah you're making a choice whether or not to abandon this thing over it or not. That's the choice you got to make. And I feel like everyone makes that choice for themselves. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, so uh, rather than go through this whole list here, you, got, uh, you each brought up uh, one thing you've been playing recently that you really loved. And uh, I'm going to do that too, but for the game Dead Cells, 
which oh, is yeah. in uh, early access. And uh, I, I saw you guys playing this on your stream, and I'd kind of seen it in a few other little places, and I was like, I should probably get that. Because like, I'm a Metroidvania guy. Like That's my shit. That's my jam. That's my favorite yeah. genre. I've rarely met one I didn't like. Like I've played dozens of them, and whenever there's a new one, I get just as excited about that one as I did the three from the previous year. So like, I'm just, I don't know, I'm old enough now to where I don't care. You can just put Metroidvanias in front of me, and I'm fine with it. But this is a roguelike, so it combines Dark Souls, Symphony of the Night. Castlevania Symphony of the Night is like its number one... Uh, influence, I feel, uh, along with Dead Souls and, uh, or Dark Souls and, uh, Rogue Legacy and, uh, a few other games are in there too. And it is a perfect combination of those things. Wow. Like the control is like super tight and like the combat's really fun and they give you like, it's a run system. It's a roguelike, so you're running through the dungeon over and over again, and it's really satisfying to do it over and over and over again, and you keep getting better and better and better, and the progression's really good, and there's, like, multiple exits in each level, so you can pick different routes to go through the game every time, and, like, oh, it's so good! Like, I've dumped, like, ten hours into it or something. I've only seen, I think, like, maybe six. There's, like, ten levels, and they're talking about doubling the amount of content because it's in early access. But uh, that game is incredibly fun. And if, like, you really liked Symphony of the Night and, like, want, have, like, longed for a game that nailed the control, which is, like, the best thing about that game is the super tight platforming and combat, uh, this has it. This actually has it. Uh, nice. The other game that got close to it was, like, Ori and the Blind Forest, which I'm excited there's a sequel coming. I didn't know until they announced it at the Microsoft panel. But I imagine they built that engine, and they're like, we're not just going to make one of these, right? Yeah. <laughs> we spent way too much money on and that. Plus, it was so well-received. Like, it's so good. Be so, yeah. yeah, I mean, that game's it's great. Really it's a little too hard, I feel. but like, I like the otherwise. challenge. I mean, look, I remember a lot of cursing at that game. But I, yeah. when I think about it, it was a fun challenge. Like, I, I enjoyed the challenge of it. Um, that was one of the few Metroidvanias that I've really enjoyed in the yeah. past, like, three or four years. Yeah. I feel like I really burnt myself out on them just because... It was like what every indie developer was like. Yeah. Well, what can we make? What does everybody love? And I super like that line of Castlevania DS games are like yeah. some of my favorite games of all time. Uh, but a lot of people I'm point like, to that as break. Yeah, well, the, a lot of people point to that as the reason that they grew tired of the genre is because there was a new one of those every year for like, like they did like yearly iterations on on Castlevania. Oh, for, I had no problem with that. Yeah, yeah but I mean, you play so many money, of them, you know, and like I, I, I wasn't I getting burned out on. Yeah, those. me neither. <laughs> I mean, okay, I'm just I didn't either. I'm just telling you that's the chief yeah. reason that I have heard from when I'm like I love Metroidvanias, give them to me, all of them. People are like, uh, you know, I played like four of those Castle DS Castlevanias, and like, uh, you know, I just grew tired of it. It's like, look, I understand, but I just I just never get tired of it. Like, I finally played yeah, through that Metroid same. Two, that fan made Metroid Two remake. That shit is good. I really, it's really good. It doesn't take that long to get through. Nintendo took the pulse of the generation. It was like Metroid two remake, huh? I tell you what I don't want shadow guys. Here's what I don't want. I don't want a remake of it in 400 by 240 (laughs) with like old ass, like 3ds, like polygons barely held, barely held together, (laughs) like shaking on the screen. Like I I don't want to play another game like that. You got the guys who made the worst Castlevania, like, 
sort of side-scrolling Castlevania in recent memory. Yeah. And be like, here you go. Have fun. Did I you mean, play that? Know. Did you play yeah, that it game? It was terrible. It's horrible. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm afraid that I've maybe told this story on a podcast before, but like my fondest memory of that game is like one night I was with, I went to, with Grotz to the emergency room at like five in the morning. Yeah. Uh, and when they took her in and she, everything was fine, you know, mm. uh, it was a panic. Attack. I was playing, hey, I I've was playing that on my 3ds. And at a certain point I was just like, I would rather stare at the wall than play this game. <laughs> so I just sort of shut the 3ds. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was just awful. And like, look, I don't know, like, um, someone sent me like a trailer of what the Metroid 2 remake that Nintendo is working on looks like. And I'll agree. It doesn't look that bad. Uh, but it's just like, I'm not going to hold out any hope because like, I feel like that company has had three shots at Castlevania and it's whiffed them all. I just, I just don't want a 3DS game. I just, man. I, I I don't want to play games on an iPhone too either. Like it's just too old at this point. Like yeah, if you're gonna that's... put it if you're gonna put it on a ten year old handheld, like two D graphics at least, please at least make it pixel art. Like come yeah, on, yeah. come I mean, on, man. But this... I, I I assume that uh, I just assume the polygons are cheaper. <laughs> yeah, faster to make. You know, they don't have to draw. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, like I, I tend to agree that like I I feel like something. Uh, has been lost in the fact that like we don't get a lot of these games that are just to the really nice sprites yeah i mean i went back and played ecclesia like maybe a year or two ago and i still found it pretty beautiful and yeah those games look great still they did they did such a good job on the i mean a lot of it's like remixed symphony of the night assets and they all just yeah they all just (laughs) remix assets but they do draw new backgrounds for the most part and like the, the art in those games was incredible yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so, but that's what I want. Like, that's one of the things that I loved about Symphony of the Night was the aesthetic feeling of yeah. of exploring this pixel castle and like each room, each room feels unique and like each boss, like the the room they're in has part of their little story in it. Like that stuff just killed me. It was so neat at the time. Yeah, I mean, and, like, it had so much detail and personality. Yeah, it just sort like, of like. Yeah, like you're in one room and there's like a there's, there's the background is totally unique to that room and there's all these weird yeah. little idiosyncratic details that are in there. Uh, I don't know, man. That I can go on and on about that, but like that's what I want out of a Metroidvania. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know Metroid Two, a Metroid Two remake on. I know, real. I realize that like the thing going around now is like, oh, Metroid fans still complaining, you know, not quite getting what they want. And it's like, well, mm. I if you put out a a side-scrolling Metroid on the Switch, I would be really happy. The things that you could do to make me not happy would be a 3DS game and another <laughs> Metroid Prime, which I don't care about at all. So, yeah. you know, I don't, I, I wasn't able to get into Metroid Prime because it, I mean, that's not why I play Metroid. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I like the first one well enough, and like the second one just completely lost me. Um, and while we do have a glut of these 2D side scrollers in the past few years, I don't feel like we particularly have a glut of like master work, a plus 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 class. Yeah, no. Well, we so. had a, there were a few contenders. Egovania. When's that coming out? Maybe next Fucking year. Hopefully, Rose Crystal Egovania or whatever. I don't. Uh, I got to be honest. I don't have high hopes for that at all. Ah, but I want it to be so good, or I so want it to be good. Yeah, me the too. Demo was nice enough. I, mean, I, I didn't think so. I didn't like but, the demo. 
I thought the demo I mean, was like, oh. I wasn't sold on that graphical style, you know, speaking of. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it did look like a mish, like a mushy kind but of. But uh, I would take sort of a 75% power Egovania over a lot of other uh, sort of, I don't want to call them copycats, but you know, other did you play, in that yeah. genre. Did you play Owlboy? Uh, I didn't, but I know everybody really liked it. Yeah, it's okay. It's not as good yeah, as it's not yeah. as good as Dead Cells, and it's not as good as Ori in the Blind Forest. The other thing is like, how, how much Owlboy? How much Dead Cells did you actually play? Uh, probably. Like I need to stop turning to you when I ask you questions. Hours. Here, probably answer that again. I'm sorry, I keep fucking up the. You are totally fine. You have made <laughs> zero <recording>. mistakes. Zero. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say I played five or six hours. I I try not to get too deep into early access games and like you know spoil myself before dinner comes yeah sure yeah Uh, but it is really fun and i don't want to like speak ill of the dead but it does make me reflect on rogue legacy a little and be Mm. like did i like that that as much as i think i did yes like yeah Legacy was super super fun i'm not i'm not trying to this is a way better game this is like like, that feels a lot cleaner in your hand this is what i would want like while i was sitting there playing rogue legacy i would feel like i was I didn't know it yet, but what I really wanted was this game. Like, I was sitting there, like, Rogue Legacy is like, this is really fun, but something's not quite there. And then this came along. It's like, oh, shit, this is it. Like, this is the thing. Well, so. so I feel like a, a distinction for me that between those and sort of between what we get in a lot of Metroidvanias kind of is that I feel like a lot of the stuff we get, like Axiom Verge, lean far closer to the Metroid than the Vania. Mm. So there aren't, like, yeah. a lot of build differences. Like, there aren't a lot of, um, like, different equipable items or, like, spells or yeah. just, like, goofy stuff you can do. Uh, and, and, you know, there became a lot less of that after Symphony of the Night. Like, none of the games had the amount of just, like, weird weapons and yeah. stuff that Symphony of the Night did. Yeah. But... Uh, Dead Cells is one of the few times since, like, Order of Ecclesia, I felt like, oh, there's, like, a bunch of different stuff in this game. There's, like, you know, throwing knives and, like, an electric whip that locks onto guys and, like, these turrets you can throw down or you can, like, trap a guy in a bear trap. And if you're lucky, you found a bear trap that puts poison on guys. And if you're really lucky, you have, like, a homing electric whip that when guys are poisoned, it also bleeds them. And then they explode. And it's, like, the special poison exploding whip bleeding whip that also like spawns maggots that become yeah. your friends and follow <laughs> you around like like there's just a lot of weird stuff like that that yeah. makes me feel like oh i'm doing something other than moving to the right and firing a different color gun which is like what i felt a lot of the time in axiom verge and then i just didn't finish that game yeah axiom verge like, lost me that's just a metroid clone like yeah. which is fine but like they had the one gimmick which was like the giant face in the wall and then the rest of the graphic design was i thought really boring like yeah it was too simplistic it looked like a dos game which is which is cool but the style was not particularly like appealing and like i just didn't think it looked very it was kind of like uh it felt like um like a knockoff like a metroid knockoff from the 80s like that's kind of what it reminded me of right um but uh yeah, that that one was that one was kind of a letdown. But the thing is, is that I think that that stuff that you're talking about, all those little weird stuff, and like, you know, things you're not expecting, and like, oh, what does this weapon do? Oh, it does this crazy thing, and it's kind of useless, but they put it in here anyway. That's all Symphony of the Night, and like, you know, they took it. They that's in there because it's in Symphony of the Night. Like, it feels yeah. like yeah. 
oh, this is what people liked about it. Well, let's do that again. And I appreciate their effort. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like I've sort of been chasing that feeling for about 20 years. Yeah. Of like just all the super dumb stuff that was in that game, like like the jewel sword and just like leveling up your familiars and being like, oh, if you get the sword familiar to 50, you can equip it. And yeah. Like, sword of the just, Dawn. Sword yeah. of the Dawn. <laughs> Just, just like all that stuff was so cool. And I feel like we are so removed from that era of like putting a lot of random stuff in that people won't see. And that doesn't have a lot of like practical mechanical use in the game. Yeah. Uh, and that always makes me really sad that like everything is so streamlined for efficiency such that like when I talk about prey, it's like, oh, I upgrade my shotgun and now it does 11 damage instead of 10. <laughs> Man, and I hope like, they. It's so boring to me that I wish it just didn't exist at all. Yeah, I hope they put familiars in dead cells. That would be awesome. Like, and that's yeah, the thing. I was like, I'm super. That's so fun. Like, like, I'm super excited about the fact that they're like, oh, we're gonna double the amount of content. I'm like, I'm just gonna play everything you can give me now, and yeah. then I'm gonna play all that stuff you give me later. Like, it's, it's good shit. Um, we should, we should, uh, we should roll on here. I know you guys are playing the other game. I was gonna bring up Night in the Woods. Um, yeah. I don't know. You haven't finished it yet, right? Nope. I feel like we're uh, – my guess would be about two-thirds of the way. Like the plot sort of just thickened. We got to the Harvest Festival. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you're getting you're getting there. Um, I just wanted to bring that up as an example of a game I think everybody should play. Um, yeah, it's great. The dialogue uh, is some of the best. It is some of the – we're talking about two games that I think like absolutely spectacular writing. And Night in the Woods and Nier are both examples of like – absolutely incredible writing in video games and night in the woods is pure that's a pure writing experience i actually think the there's like platforming stuff in there that i think is bad like those things where you have to find the little musicians in the corners of the it's just like okay i get it you needed this to go on for a little longer but like the writing in that game hits you right like it's like getting stabbed sometimes because it's so close to real feelings and like oh this is just ripped right out of real life things that uh, just about any any adult young adult can relate to yeah um, it's like getting punched it's a gut punch yeah <laughs> several several and yeah like continuously like they go to a dead mall and shoplift from the only like one of the only stores that's still <laughs> open which is a hot topic which yeah. is like malls and that's what <laughs> teenage like and and the way that they talk about it and the characters' attitudes, like, it's just, it's fucking perfect. Like, it's, the writing is basically perfect for what they were trying to do. And, uh, yeah, if you haven't heard of this game, it's a, it's an adventure game on PlayStation and PC. It's like 20 bucks. Um, it's, mo- you're, you're reading a really good story. That's pretty much what you're doing. Um, yeah. and make, and making some choices. Um, can I ask if you guys are going with B or Greg? Uh, it, I think apparently we, I fucked it up. Uh, no, Graziella doesn't understand <laughs> visual novel routes. So oh, like, okay. You have to commit. Yeah, you got to commit. <laughs> You're gonna, you might get a bad ending if so you don't she commit. Put a, she put a Greg in the middle of RB, which nothing against Greg. <laughs> like, in fact, um, I feel like he's usually – I'm usually like, you're doing stuff that sounds like I want to do it. But <laughs> B's got the attitude. I feel like Greg is one of those like – uh, I see a little too much of me and you. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a lot of I friends like Greg. <laughs> uh, I want to say I'm a May, but I feel like the like only I feel the only thing that May kept my Greg. painful hyperactivity in check at that time, such that I did not become a Greg, 
was my painful social anxiety. <laughs> mm. so, like I was just way too anxious about being awkward in public to truly be as hyper as my heart needed to be. <laughs> I see. Yeah. No, that character is incredibly well written and yeah. it feels like they knew a guy like that and like yep. and just fucking nailed it. And there were like yeah. I didn't go with Greg because it's so close to people that I know in my life and it made me uncomfortable and I was like I'm going to go with the other with the with this character that I personally relate to very deeply. Yeah. Uh B and I was like, oh, let's go with this character. And we also kind of mess- messed it up a little bit. Like, we had, like, one with Greg, too. Me and Jacob, we played it together. Yeah. Um, we had one with Greg at the beginning, too. And we still got what we... We still got the ending that we, okay. we were after. So well, you should I be fine. I only hung out with Greg once. Yeah, then you should be sure fine. whether or not there were endings or any of that. I was just like, yeah. oh, no, you gotta commit. Not Otherwise too many of them. fall off the roof and die. <laughs> Admittedly, I think the third act of that game kind of gets a little into it. It's, it's reach exceeds its grasp a little bit, but it's mm. such a minor complaint about where it winds up eventually going that and the rest of it is so strong that I just it's like I don't even Yeah, I mean, it's a voice up. is just like incredibly. Yeah. Well, it's after, just like just hits every after every like a flood of trying. oxen freeze and sort of uh, you know, yeah. even life is strange which yeah. I really I feel like I loved life is strange like and comparison. this thing eats its lunch like, yeah, yeah I mean I, I I they put life is strange up for free on PS plus and I was like oh maybe I want to kind of go back to that I sort of want to check yeah but like I mean I feel like that was at least enjoyable to there's play a lot through. of cringy like dialogue and life it gets better like stop like you're 45 years old, like you're writing a yeah. teenager. Yeah. Like, it's got that Diablo Cody thing, uh, going on, but it, it, it gets a lot better. And like, they do a lot of stuff in that game. That's really good and interesting. And there's character moments in there that really, really work. There's really effective yeah. stuff in life is strange. And like, I'm really glad yeah, that it was a there's success. There's some painful yeah. shit in there that yeah. they, they actually make you confront like as your character. So like, I feel like it definitely, that kind of stuff pays off. I feel like it is, really the writing like the like the dialogue writing that's like yeah. the the most cringy but well <laughs> i would i would imagine if you set the devs of oxen free or life is strange or any of these games down in front of night in the woods they would be like yeah. oh shit this is what i wanted why to didn't we hire like, this guy yeah <laughs> why didn't we hire this dude to write our game like yeah Shit. Yeah. I when I was like, oh, this is it. This is what all these people were trying to make. They've been trying to make yeah. this for like ten years and this guy yeah. just out of nowhere perfected it. Like made a perfect yeah. thing. So I'm really excited about what those guys are gonna do next. And I, I'm really curious. Once you guys are done with it, I'm really curious to hear what you think of it uh oh. in the end. Um Uh briefly the other I mean I don't think we need to talk about Zelda. Everybody knows it's the best fucking thing. <laughs> Like, amazing. I love it. Yeah, it everybody. So everybody loves fairies. Zelda. It's really and good. I love the fairies so much. They're really good. I that want game them is, to bug me forever. Jacob is trying to hundred percent it and he really? Yeah, oh yeah. Like I he's nuts. I, I, I I'll watch him and he's he's going for the thousand Koroks or whatever, and I'm like yeah. you. Are, but he he loves the game and doesn't yeah. want to play anything else. So, I hadn't had that experience with a game for a long time, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I should have picked that instead of Persona. <laughs> <laughs> now that, like, I, I don't know, it just completely slipped my mind for some reason. But yeah, like, I just, I never got tired of actually just running around in that world. Yeah, no, well, no, and like, I'm, I can't wait for the DLC because it's new content and I can boot the game up again. Because right now, if you ask me, like, 
okay, you can erase the memory of any one of these amazing games and experience right. it for the first time. That like would be Zelda, but maybe near though, like because <laughs> they're so good. Um, but I feel like we don't need to talk at length about how great Zelda is. It yeah. that game is like. It, it, while I, uh, the first time you sit in like the first hour or two and you're like oh this is like the best Zelda game ever in the first like hour you're like yeah. oh th- mean, they made the they made like the like holy shit <laughs> and for me it felt like it kind of came out of nowhere yeah I wasn't expecting like, it to be like that this is an open world game and a Zelda and I mean like uh, this, how is it how is it so good yeah yeah, man. I mean, and it like, even... just as somebody who's not super into open world games and um, I, Zelda, I like I like Mia Zelda, but it, it feels like it's been not so happening recently. That game captures somehow turns it into it atmospherically communicates the feeling that you get as a child looking yeah. at the instruction manual for mm-hmm. The Legend of Zelda. That's what that game manages to do. That's fucking amazing. Yeah. There is a real, (laughs) like, just pure sense of wonder that you experience when you're playing it and flying around. And it's just like, I couldn't, I kind of, yeah, I kind of couldn't believe how much I liked it all the way through. I was shocked. And I like, people complained about, when people would complain about it. They would just it just like bounce off my head like yeah what what who cares like yeah the dungeons aren't I like remember any well it's like people complain about the dungeons not being whatever there's no forest temple or whatever and it's like what are you just I don't know all that stuff fell on like deaf they ears for me it differently yeah like, it was just, just different <laughs> yeah it's just, it's different. just di- like the little like dungeons I mean they're not really yeah yeah anyway Zelda's super good we should uh, run through uh, well you know what. Let's talk about E3 at the end before we do Twitter questions, because most of our Twitter questions are about E3. So we'll get to E3 at the end of this show. Um, Right now, however, I want to talk about the game uh, that uh, I I, I think is is the game that, like, Zelda exists, but Zelda feels like it is, like, this, like, event that if it, like, that could have come out in any year, and it would be the best game of that year. Like, it's just... It's like this new classic all-time masterpiece thing. So it feels like it almost doesn't count so much, <laughs> which is why I can say that, like, holy shit, uh, Near Automata is, like, the best fucking thing I have seen or played in a long time. Um, I, I loved that game, uh, and I'm happy to, to have you guys on here to talk about it. Um, so uh, now, from from a conversation we had a little earlier, Dave, you were the one who played through this game, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I got into one of those like totally depresso video game binges yeah. where yeah. Like, my life was going to work and then coming home and playing this game, and sometimes not going to work and then playing this game. <laughs> yeah. So I think I played it over the course of about four days. Oh, jeez. Like That's like rough. Like, before the end of the weekend, I was I was finished the entire You game. took it all, like, all five endings in, in a I, weekend? I really, when, especially when I feel sad, the only thing I want is for other things to tell me how sad they are. Well, shit, you picked the right thing. <laughs> so yeah. if I could get that in video game form in the sense of like, hey, you know what's really easy to do when you're depressed? Like follow objective markers. Yeah. 
Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I think probably like, you know, somewhere around 40 hours over the course of maybe five days. Like I think I got it on Tuesday and finished it on Saturday. Holy shit. Yeah, no, uh, I took a break. I, I got about two thirds of the way through <laughs> route B and uh, started, I, I banged my head against the sequence where you're playing as 2B and she's been corrupted by this logic virus uh, and you have to get across the map, but it's taking away your jump ability and your run ability every now and then. Yeah. And so I, I got screwed with that in this like cartoonish way where I was walking up a hill and like just some random enemy hit me and knocked me down yeah, into same. that into that pit with yep. the really long ladder. Mm-hmm. Same. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you've got this like counter ticking up like it's a percentile meter. Yeah. So I got knocked down there at like ten percent. And I don't think I got out of that pit until it was at like seventy percent. Yeah. And then you don't have enough time to get out. I had to restart. Yeah. And I, having to restart that set me back because I was plowing through it because I just wanted to see the story. Now, that mm. that is one thing about this that I will say up front, I am not good at platinum action games at all. And, like, I, I didn't really want to sit there and learn it. Like, I'm not good at Bayonetta. Like, the one of their games that I was kind of okay at, I think, was Bayonetta 2. And, like, even then, I wasn't that good at it. So, like... Uh, I turned on easy mode after a while because you can just turn on easy mode and see the story in that game. They don't penalize you for doing that. And the game basically plays itself. You hold forward and it auto attacks and dodges and everything. So um, I was I, I turned that on after a little while because I wasn't very good at the actual combat. And I really wanted to see the story and like didn't want to get stuck on anything that would stop me from seeing the next part of the story. Um, so that's that's sort of how I approached it. So like as a game... As, as I'm sitting here waxing rhapsodical about it, like, I didn't really go the hard route and, like, put it on, like, hard difficulty and sit there and bang on these bosses forever. In fact, by the end of the game, I was pretty tired of the combat. Um, and I feel like there were maybe one too many bosses in it. But those were kind of yeah. like... And it just kind of went on for a little long in the end. I, I kind of wanted it to get to the point by the end of the game. Um but uh, those are my only major complaints. Did you, I assume you did not play it on easy. And how how did you do with the combat? Well, I, I played it on normal. From what I saw, sort of hard was kind of a horror show. Mm. People were like, you get one shot by the first boss on hard and you have to beat the first boss to be able to save. Right, <laughs> so yeah. People were just like spending 40, 45 minutes like just running the first stage over and over again. It just seemed like a terror and this is where i say that i don't think it's a very good platinum game yeah i think like the the audio cues especially are extremely bad uh such that you get hit off screen like all the time yeah uh and and that's why i think it's fine that like even on normal it's a comparatively easy game yeah yeah and like you can just spam health items through it and they give you a crap load of health items yeah because uh, i don't think there's really much learning there or worth learning there which is too bad because it looks really nice <laughs> like, yeah uh they've got like a really nice a- aesthetic for the combat there are a lot of neat little quirks that um both platinum and kind of yoko taro are known for uh so like for example when you do the perfect dodge like the dodge at the last second bayonetta witch time thing mm-hmm. you can do like a strong counterattack, 
or you can hit your like little robot button, your which fires normally fires this Gatling gun, no, uh, and you friend. grab your tiny robot, and he shoots out like this huge short range burst. Like mm. you, you yeah. just like snatch him out of the air and hold him in front of you, and it goes no, like boom. And the, there's a lot of really cool stuff like that. Then. You get uh, you get a couple other robot friends as the game goes on, uh, and then if you hold their special attack button, like they start other your the other two of them pop out and start charging their special attacks too. So like it's too bad because it's not a game without character. Uh, I thought like the the uh, sort of OS setup for equipping your skills was like really awesome in that like weird uh yoko taro game design kind of way yeah. where it's super neat but kind of boils down to nothing pragmatically yeah <laughs> like i was like i'm just gonna put all movement speed up things in here yeah but there's like a couple things where you're like oh i hate picking up this copper ore and then towards the end of the first run of the game uh, these new merchants show up and sell you an item that automatically picks up items when you run by them hmm. and you're like I shouldn't be grateful for this, but I am. <laughs> just made these items get picked up automatically because, like, there's a crafting system and it's completely pointless. Like, yeah, there's, like there's no reason. First off, there's no reason to level up more than like one weapon the entire game, and it's the weapon you start with. Like, it's yeah, just like the weapon you well, start with is one of the strongest weapons. I mean, they put story like you can you can read all the weapon stories. Like the point, like the the yeah, the carrot really for doing cool. that stuff is more story. So which is so frustrating. Oh, so there's <laughs> yeah. you mean like there's like uh, yeah, this was uh, also true in the flavor, first new flavor text yeah. and yeah. stuff for yeah. the weapons. Okay, cool. So in in the first year they did the same thing, and it's like each weapon has kind of four chapters of a story that's like a sentence or two long and it's usually something super sad it's like about some sad person who like went out on a quest as a knight errant and then he came back and the person he loved was dead and you know the flower he got was meaningless and like you know it's always sort of that because that's what near usually boils down to uh but in this way that like just sort of pierces you (laughs) like it gets right between your ribs (laughs) Like yeah, and just stabs you. Well, I like uh, to think about this game as like a sadness fractal, and <laughs> on the t- if you look at it, it's extremely sad. And then as you zoom in, each layer is consecutively sadder. And as you zoom yeah. in further and further, the layers <laughs> at the bottom recontextualize the top layers to make them even sadder than yeah. they were before. And the whole game is like that to the point where it felt like watch like the writing in that game feels like somebody doing like a bunch of backflips and landing the ending like perfectly and i'm not saying that it's it's horribly messy like the whole thing is a horrible mess but as a work of art i think it's kind of perfect and brilliant and that the writing tricks that he does in there to the the way that he feeds you information all of that stuff felt like so carefully considered and so carefully written and just genius like a lot of it seemed like genius to me like this is so thoughtful like you put so much thought into how sad this is and then you you strung it out into four or five different story elements to make it even sadder and all all to point towards your your theme uh which is sort of existentialist nihilism (laughs) (laughs) um but uh i'm curious so you played the original near dave yeah Uh, uh i did i played about 15 hours of it and just could not get into it at all. I tried my d- 
damnest and gave up and watched YouTube videos of the rest of it so that I would know, you know, the story and everything. Um, how did you feel about the first one? So I really like it. I feel like the what has been lost between like not having Kavya make this game uh, and giving it to platform or giving it to Platinum. And while I really do like Platinum games, like Platinum has a specific style that they apply sort of unilaterally to everything they make almost now. And like Battle Gear Rising is really good. I really like Bayonetta, but like you can you can play all those games in the exact same way. And I feel like by that conversion you lost the kind of frenetic genre hopping that the first near did. Yeah. It was uh, kind of idiosyncratic the way yeah, that it, was, it sort of was constructed. It's so, it was so many different things in one. Yeah. You're like playing a sort of normal ish character action game. Then you go into this like side scroller mode, then you're in a text adventure and like just this really yeah. meaty text adventure that lasts probably like 30 minutes or half an hour where you're trying to get through this forest then you're in a kind of a survival horror game exploring this like Resident Evil style mansion. Uh, and I feel like the aesthetic of that still existed in Automata. Like sometimes you would do side scrolly stuff, but it didn't feel like it was really thought out beyond like, hey, this looks like the thing that they did in the last game. Uh, so that was a real letdown. Um, I I wasn't exactly let down, but I came into the second one expecting there to be a little more of a story tie. And I, I there to is the as the game goes on, yeah. But it ended up being pretty close to how Nier was to Drakengard, where it's like, this is spun off another thing, but the relevance of that is almost nil. Yeah, I mean, uh, that stuff is... the Knowing the story elements from the first two, like, you have to know the giant strokes. Like, you have to know the... If you if you actually want that to recontextualize uh, this game, you, it, the things you have to know are the endings of those games and, like, the giant strokes that they uh, take. Um, it's not, like, little tiny plot details from those games. It's, like... Here's the ending of Dragon Guard Three and how that completely fucked. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, humanity. Well, Dragon Guard Three is its own thing, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah, but all this stuff uh, is tied together, you know. So yeah, in this bizarre way where it's like, yeah, and now this one, Dragon Guard Two is only tri- tied to this, and this is uh, Dragon Guard Three is tied to the stage play, and like I gotta say though that like watching. I mean, playing the. I mean, I haven't played much. I played basically through like the first level, and I've wanted to play more, but. I was I also had put it on easy and then Dave was like you could you could do it so like I went back and put it on normal mm. and then kind of bounced off and then I was like I'll do it eventually but I got to say like just atmospherically and what I did see of the writing when Dave was playing it this was the one game in of those games that made me really like I have to play this at yeah. some point like I have to yeah and it's just it it just seems so I guess maybe personally up my alley but also it just seems so well done and poignant like the stuff with the the robots and it's just that's my that's my shit. I, it looks fucking amazing. So, well, so since so the original Nier was like a very sort of the standard, like what makes a person? Because mm. we're going into spoilers, like what do we consider humanity? Well, this uh, would I figured we would discuss spoilers on this show. Otherwise, it's yeah, kind of no point. So, I, yeah, okay. I just wanted to preface. <laughs> yeah, it don't worry about it. 
Five, you, okay, cool. you hope that people come into this with that. But uh, like the original year, like the, the basic plot is that like sometime in the future, humanity is dying of this disease. They find a way to convert themselves into like a digital form or something like that. Uh, and they leave these containers behind to re-inhabit once the disease goes away. Uh, and then these like soulless containers eventually gain a soul and become people. And you start playing the game as one of these people whose daughter is infected by a disease, which you later discover is one of these souls trying to reintegrate with its host. Uh, so it's sort of this question of like, well, it's like 3000 years in the future since humanity effectively died out. Like, do they deserve to take their bodies back? Right. Like now that we have souls. Uh, and I feel like near automata moves from that into being like, like it's just sort of philosophically accepted as a given that uh, machines or rather androids, which are the sort of main cast of characters, have souls. And it doesn't even sort of t then toy with what the expected sci-fi conceit of like, do these robots truly have souls? Like the sort of tin can robots that inhabit the surface, like it pays lip service to that over the course of like an hour and a half before it's like, oh, no, be like they have society. Like they're it, not sort of just acting on rote instinct there. I, I, I intake a lot of existential nihilism uh, in, you know, writing and stuff like that. And, and I'm sure uh, y'all have, have ingested your fair share of this stuff. And personally, I felt that near uh, automata is maybe has maybe one of now, usually if you're intaking a lot of existentially nihilist stuff, you're used to this kind of a theme. This thing I think has maybe the lowest opinion of humanity that I've seen in a little while. Like, <laughs> I, you see a lot of things that have a low opinion of humanity. Near twists a knife. Uh, pretty hard. And I, I really appreciate it. Like, I think there's hope in Nier. Like, I actually think I really like the ending. The, the, the end, like the, whatever, the if you want to call it the real ending, the fifth ending. I thought that one was great and actually had hope in it. But that's if you embrace the message of the game. <laughs> Like if you yeah, embrace it, and I'm I, curious, it's like one of those things where it's so dire, yeah, that it's it's difficult to sort of see past that to be like, oh, it's you know, Yokotaro seems like a guy who has that specific sort of uh, extremely like pessimistic optimism. He's like, yeah. well, well, the world is what it is, so like all we can kind of do in it is strive. Which is yeah, which is what I mean. That's very close to my <laughs> personal philosophy, which is that. You know, uh, cosmically, you don't matter, but you should embrace that because it's freedom. Like, that's freedom. Cosmically, you don't matter. You weren't here, put here for a purpose or anything. You just embrace that, and that's freedom, right? You're, you're, you're freed from the shackles of purpose, uh, from, from needing a purpose. And, like, he seems like he's into that, too. And, like, the game very much kind of walks down that road in a lot of different ways. And the ending, I feel, is kind of a condemnation of humanity, like, as a species, along with the message, there you won't be given a purpose, but maybe that's okay. Um, you know, maybe you can yeah. forge yeah, your own... Yeah, the game is about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And, I, I mean, mean, the game is about what happens when you wake up one day and like your boss has been dead for 5,000 years, <laughs> but you're like still going to the factory. Yeah. Well, like it, it, it's more than that because if you zoom out even further, the, the, the scenario that near has set that this game has set up is that humanity is long dead 
And Earth basically serves as a monument to humanity with robots that we created, our creation, created in our own likeness, now plays out a, a repeat of our most violent and horrible character flaws over and over and over and over and over again into infinity. So uh, what what's happening with, like, they talk about it in these robots where the only thing that the robots can learn from is mankind. What that means is all they do is an autocrat robot rises up, brings in a bunch of subjects, a whole bunch of people die because that's what happens when you have one of those. Everyone forgets about it and the cycle repeats and another autocrat pops up, another dictator pops up over and over. Like, they wrote this into the game to where... Yeah, humanity, like, like a specific hu- file. Yeah, humanity's, humanity's, do they, yeah. Do they address the issue? Like for me, because this is where I always get stuck on, you know, existentialism and existential nihilism is like uh, the, yeah, meaninglessness, purposelessness, There's that's freedom. But what, I mean, do they, do they get at the issue of suffering? Because like for me, that's where I kind of like can't, I never and like I feel like it is a sort of unsettled position in that sense because you're like okay well if if everything if if there's no inherent meaning then suffering is meaningless and that's just like maddening no right? that's not the point and, and and absolutely the game does not uh, espouse that uh, it, there are like the high emotion in the game is between characters that you care deeply about by the end and their feelings are real they matter they matter to the right. the guy who made the game they matter they in the way like that they suffer to uh, some extent. so the whole game is that like it's yeah. just these characters suffering for each other and like right. y- y- it feels to me like Tar- yogotaro is absolutely sees the value in that suffering and sees the meaning the, that, that it is those feelings are ultimately meaningful i think in terms of what they, uh, I don't know. It just it like I did not get the sense that what he's saying is that um, it, it isn't childishly nihilistic. This is a conclusion no, arrived no, to. Yeah. This is a conclusion that he's arrived at that is nuanced enough to. It, he's not telling you that existence is meaningless completely and that suffering is meaningless because the whole game is about this conclusion that these people arrive at through a tremendous amount of suffering. And in my opinion, the final ending is about redemption. And mm-hmm. and what's and in this in this extremely nihilistic universe that Yokotaro is painting, there is still hope. There's a glimmer of hope, um, and I I don't know that that really meant something to me because I I like I personally feel that same way. Like we live in a you know a really dark universe that like you know entropy is the rule of the day. I feel like that's just a fact. But that doesn't mean that you just give up or, like, your feelings don't mean anything. Your relationships don't, it doesn't mean your life is meaningless. It just means that it's meaningful to you. And, right. like, there's no cosmic significance. Um, yeah. So that, that kind of feels, like, really more in line with what the game is doing. But only at the very, very end. Because up to that point, <laughs> it is just relentless. You're just – it feels like you're digging down further and further and further and further into this – like, how fucked is this situation? And it keeps giving you reasons, like, it's this fucked. Oh, it's actually this yeah. fucked. Oh, no, it's this fucked. And by the time it gets to the bottom, you're like, head and hands. Like, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> you know? uh, which is fucking amazing that a video game can do that. 
Like I've never played a game that it that does it quite like this game does, or even attempts to. Like a lot of things touch on these subjects, and they do a terrible fuck. This is like the old like what's what is a man? You know, a, yeah. is AI actually human? Do they have souls? Yeah, this is the oldest shit in the book. But like, what matters is how you execute it. And I honestly don't. I don't think I've ever seen a more thoughtful exploration of. A, a nihilistic philosophy than this one. I don't think I've seen, especially like in a video game or whatever, you know, I'm not talking about like all of books or whatever, just I don't think, in terms of mass media and everything, I don't think you're going to find a better exploration of these feelings and attitudes than you would in that game. Um, and there's there's so many little rabbit holes that it goes down. Uh, each little story, like um, there's a story of the two androids who uh, are from the previous games. Um, I can't, I wish yeah, I could remember Devil that. And Devil Popola. and Popola. So these are two androids that were uh, so the host bodies, like from from the original Nier, like you were talking, his daughter, and uh, th- these were the mass produced ones. And these androids are responsible for killing humanity, or at least they're blamed for it. They exist in yeah. this game. That's the plot of the first game. They they were sort of the overseers that were like like they were the shepherds watching the flock of these like yeah. numb sheep that were supposed to hang around until the human like shadow people could go back into their bodies. But in over the course of the first game, uh, they sort of decide, well, we're going to like let you murder all of them because apparently you've proven that you have souls. Uh, so y- these are the specific models because they are also mass produced uh, that let that happen and, and yeah. essentially cause humanity's like official extinction. Yeah. Uh, you know, quote unquote. But and these, so, yeah, yeah, they are like just reviled by. They're other other versions of themselves and everyone else. And they're programmed to feel nothing but guilt over this event, even though these two robots had nothing to do with it personally. Uh, They were programmed to feel nothing but remorse and guilt over what they did. They sort of memorialize that. That guilt. Yes, and, and except like the team only sends yeah, and the team only sends them out on like the most dangerous missions and stuff. And their end is very tragic. And they go through this long. They they give you all the story that makes their final moments. And like you read a bunch of text, and then you just see like a few minutes of their final moments. But those final moments are like pregnant with meaning because you read this really well written, really thoughtful story that got those characters to that point. And it recontext like it contextualizes that ending for you that makes it even sadder than it would be normally. Like, I don't know, the whole game is like that. And it just yeah, each the, new the twist. Game is, the game is uh really good at doing that in a way that it's so good at doing it that you've or at least my experience playing through the A route was sort of like characters would say things that seem to contradict themselves. Yeah. Depending on the time. Sort of if you're if you're taking like uh, 9S, or, or rather 2B, as like the sort of stoic robots don't have feelings, like, and 9S being like the dreamer, like, but what if they do have feelings? <laughs> but they do s- seem to switch roles at times, and you think somewhat arbitrarily. Uh, and so at points, 9S will be like, hey, you know, don't worry about them. Like, they're just sort of performing mimicry. Uh, like, they're saying words that they picked up, but they don't understand what the meaning is. Uh, and that's like when you're first in the desert and kind of encountering these things that appear to have built like a culture uh, and like paint themselves and carry tools. Um, yeah. And then later on, you go through this boss fight and you come out of the boss fight. And Ines is like, 
hey, do you think maybe robots do have feelings? And when I heard that the first time, I was like, that seems a little, not quite out of character, but I was like, you're like 10 minutes ago, you were singing a different tune. Mm. Uh, but that's sort of the beauty of, of be playing through of the game a second time as him from his perspective is you get the perspective on that boss fight, which is like a, this opera singer robot uh, is hacking into you, which as playing as 2B, you interrupted as you interpreted as this like sort of brief blip in your consciousness where the screen goes white. Uh, but 9S counter hacking her like started uh, kind of absorbing her memories yeah. <laughs> through osmosis. And it's this super sad tale about her kind of refiguring herself over and over again uh, to find like kind of the soul of beauty yeah, uh, and constantly sure. being denied it. So you come out of that same boss fight a second time and you realize why he's like, so how about the fact that robots have feelings now? <laughs> Uh, and it makes that dialogue makes a little more sense. Uh, and I, th- those moments are sort of peppered throughout. Yeah, you. I remember that. You get to the end of that boss fight and you're like, that's what you say? Like, because the story of the opera singer is like heart rending. And then at the end, he's like, eh, maybe they do have feelings. And you're like, yeah, you little fucker. Like, Nines is really <laughs> his attitude really got to me because like it was obvious that the machines had developed self-awareness and empathy. And, like, that's what the Pascal story is largely about. And, like, he he clearly was just clinging to this, like, no, they're not, like, they're just mimicking and everything. Even though, like, like there's a moment at the beginning of his route where he's watching a little robot try and bring oil over to his dead brother. Oh, my brother. God, I saw that. <laughs> and that kind of shit gets me. Oh, uh, my God. That kind of shit gets me, like... I saw that part and yeah. it killed me. And there's a lot of shit, there's a lot of shit like that in this in this game. Um and it all leads to something. It's not just suffering porn, which I really right. like I'm allergic to that. Like uh I thought that movie Chappie was largely like a lot of suffering porn. Like it's it it's like I'm about something but I'm also going to wallow around in all this suffering and like I like yeah. this was not like that. This was like this has a point. I'm trying to say something here and I'm going to get to it. You're going to need to watch a lot of tragedy to get to my point, but it's all going to be illustrative of this one thing. At no point does it feel like wallowing. Not to me, anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, like, and and what I've seen from it, it doesn't either. I mean, it, and it did, again, it's hard. I guess it's hard because I haven't actually played through most of it. I've seen a bunch of, like, vignettes from it. But I'm just curious, like, just based on what you said, you thought, like, it's sort of like philosophy was, like, if the idea of God ever comes up, like at all in the game because it seems no. like it doesn't and in that case it seems like they've almost sort of inverted or like replaced the idea of god with humanity yeah not as a god but sort of is serving as like this is where we derive any sort of sense of meaning or morals or whatever it's from i feel like you could take this game and if you made the robots humans and the humans god like it's a yeah, pretty one to one. It's pretty one to one. Yeah. Except that's, inter- that's super interesting. Yeah. I that's that's a good I hadn't thought about it that way. But well, that I, is I a very good one. Well, well when you were yeah. talking about like seeing it as like a existential nihilist thing, it's just like sort of I was just mulling that over in my head. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the, the so the the 
humanoid or, or android android style machines that are eventually the end bosses are named Adam and Eve. And like, so the game is sort of, it's definitely aware of that's the case, but yeah, it's sort of like this kind of childhood's end thing of like, oh, like the thing that made everything better went away. Or the <laughs> like, thing that gave things meaning. Yeah, but yeah, right. I mean, yeah, that's why it's that. not exactly the same as Childhood's End. But like this idea that like, oh, well, now we have to figure this out for ourselves. Yeah. Uh, oh, and my God, like, it's awesome. And that's really scary. So what the androids end up doing is just perpetuating the law. Yeah. Right? Uh, and they're sort of just like... We're not. To, we're just not going to tell the other androids that the yeah. humans are like exist on like a right. USB stick somewhere. Yeah, the the whole system <laughs> is set up to perpetuate the lie because it's the only thing that they that gives them any purpose is right. this lie, and yep. so protecting the lie becomes their new purpose. God, it's so fucking good. And, and it's that, so yeah, good. That's sort That's of so like. <laughs> and, and it's, it, what's what's sort of beautiful about it is how it just goes downhill and how like the sort of scorn they cast upon the machines because yeah, like Zach was talking about earlier, there's this like specific, I think it's a text log, uh, that you find like midway through the game where they're like, machines are so dumb. Like they always fit. They, they build these societies and they always fail and they always rebuild them in the exact same way. Like if a group of machines get together and make a monarchy, they're always going to make a monarchy. They're just going to like make a monarchy. It's going to collapse. Whoever's left is going to just build a new monarchy. Like these people are going to be like, like a socialist Republic off in the woods. Like they're going to fail. And then they're going to come together again and like try this communalism one more time. And like, they're so dumb. Like what is their problem? Like machines are so stupid. Right. And they, (laughs) they, so there's, and so there's an example in the game that is set up as, okay, these people are trying something different, which is there's a group of pacifist robots, pacifist machines uh, right. That presents this whole other side to all of this, and a whole bunch of themes are uh, expressed through uh, Pascal, who is this pacifist robot that is, has sort of a village of other pacifists, and they're they're trying to build a society where they all help each other, and they're nonviolent, and they don't they, like. We we realize we're self aware enough to know that we're war machines. Let's build a life where we where we acknowledge that we don't see any purpose in that anymore. And that is its own heartbreaking adventure that has some of the most fucked up stuff in it. Like the things that happen. So, Dave, I, I got to ask you, did you build the toys for the children in Pascal's village? Yeah, I, <laughs> there's like a lot. Of, there's a lot of really good, really sweet uh, side quests in that, yeah. like finding like the younger sister and stuff like that, and you're like sort of your radar should be up or something for like, oh, this is going to go horribly wrong. So <laughs> can I tell you this world where it's like we're pacifists, we will never fight, we don't have weapons at all. Can I can I tell you like I got that quest and was like, fuck you, you're gonna <laughs> no way, <laughs> you're gonna rip my heart. Yeah, off. build toys for the children in this game. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just imagine it. <laughs> um, but uh, so so staying on that that Pascal stuff for a little while, um, Dave. How did you feel about that that whole side story? And ultimately, did what decision did you make in the end uh, with Pascal? So yeah, like you know, ultimately Pascal loses his flock. Like they're all murdered, or, or it's worse than them being murdered. So a lot of them are murdered because this sort of retrovirus gets into the machines that turns them kind of into zombies 
and they start going berserk and killing each other. And Pascal is able to like ferry away the children. And he's like, I'll keep you safe. We're going to run to the abandoned factory. I need your help. Uh, with a, a two goes to help. Uh, and you fight a big robot battle and Pascal like gets so mad. He's like, oh, I'm so mad that I'm going to re- renege on my pacifics vows. I'm going to yeah. take over this giant robot. I'm gonna it's a big moment. Up. It's a big um, moment. Yeah. And he is just so filled with wrath. And you're well, and uh, in the moment, in that moment, you are watching one like this gentle, this character that has given you like, oh my god, maybe there's hope, maybe there's a little bit of hope, like fighting, like fighting with every last little piece of everything he has to save these children, that like the last piece of his dream back in this factory, and so you go through this big anime moment of like you know beating the shit out of these things, and you go back and like. So Pascal's children uh, committed suicide because he taught them fear beforehand, and they decided that they may as well just kill themselves. Yeah, because they can't. It would be good for them to know fear because they can't, if they're pacifists and exa- existing out in the world, they should know that it's not safe. And so, because he taught them fear, they ended up killing they themselves just, because right, they were so the, scared. And at that point in the game, I was sitting there thinking, like, well. <laughs> What would I do? Yeah. Because <laughs> the, the world that he's set up, the world that Yoko Taro has set up, the picture that he's painting for you, well, yeah, of course they do. <laughs> of course they did yeah. that. You know, what would I do in that situation? What would anyone do? What would any life form do? Suddenly being given fear in a, in a yeah, just, yeah, it's just, and it, 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 like, rare is the game that gives you something like that to think about, that gives you something like that to chew on. And, yeah, so, so ultimately, yeah, I I walked out when because Pascal is so oh, shit. rent isn't, over this. Isn't that uh, the worst thing like, you can do? Uh, it, not in my opinion, because so he's like, you either have to kill me or you have to delete my memories. Okay, because I cannot live with this. Uh, and there is a third option that is not signaled, but I feel like it, it should. It's fairly obvious that you can just leave. Uh, yeah, and you leave, and he sorts of sort of curses your name. Uh, he's like, how could you do this to me? Like, I cannot live like this. Uh, like, I just don't want to live with all this pain. Um, but like, I feel like that's so central to the theme of this game is that like suffering is not meaningless. Like, no. the, the reason that suffering exists is f- so that you can build empathy within yourself mm-hmm. and that you can have sympathy for others and understand that like. There's you meaning are in not that. a universe unto yourself and that like, you know, other people have feelings and all these things that like, frankly, a lot of people could stand to learn. Um, and you don't get to like just delete pain. Uh- <laughs> well, not only that, but like it's through that pain that to be in nine S's relationship is forged and you care about that relationship and they care about each other and they, they sacrifice for each other and they do all these incredibly human things and they go through all this painful stuff together and that's all as a like that is like the human weirdly like the human center of the game is that relationship that goes through tragedy after tragedy after tragedy after tragedy but in the end it's in no way it's the game telling you that those feelings were meaningless or that all of this shit that we went through wasn't worth it because life is hard the universe is cold and uncaring and meaningless right. Like, that's not what the game is saying. It's acknowledging that the universe is cold and uncaring and meaningless, but, like, what the shit that you went through definitely isn't. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's sort of the crucial part about the, the Pascal's Village story 
is that like you don't get to opt out like that's what pascal learns like you exist in this world um and it's good to strive but you have to understand that like someday your sort of um your ethics are going to be tested <laughs> and like you know it's a bad scary world out there there's zombie robots and like you know, frankly, like, I don't think there is an answer to that question mm. as someone who considers themselves a pacifist. Uh, mm. Like, it's it's scary to know that, like, you know what? Like, a lot of my pacifism is down to the fact that I have not been confronted mm. in this way. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the game handles that really well by being like, it's all well and good to be a pacifist. Um but that isn't going to stop. You yeah. Know? You cannot <laughs> not stop the, entropy. You can't stop it. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, what does that mean? What does that mean when your pacifism like reaches this conclusion? Yeah. Uh, like, how are you going to feel about that? Basically. Yeah. And it's not saying that that's wrong. Like, it's not saying like, well, Pascal, what you should have done is got a bunch of guns and protected that village from the robot zombies. And then all the children would, wouldn't be dead. Like, you know, that's sort of the beautiful irony of it is that, like, Pascal ultimately killed his own children uh, by, like, trying to teach them, uh, like, fear. Um, and, like, that's just sort of what the game is about. Like, you know, it's revealed that um, 2B has this extended relationship with 9S. Uh, and you, the game presents it as if they're meeting for the first time at the beginning of the game, but the 9S or the S models are like sort of inquisitive by nature because they're sort of these scanning recon things. Uh, and the eventuality of that is they always get too big for their britches and they always dig a little too deep. And that's when the 2Bs or 2E, as she is revealed to be truly uh, titled, has to go in and kill them. And right. like sort of get a reset. Well, why? What do they do? Well, they do like they poke their nose start? around in the databases and they discover that like humanity has been dead for 3,000 years. Yeah, inevitably. And this is all meaningless. But yeah. what is that? Oh, and so then they give up? No, or they have they to persist. They have to be killed to keep the secret. In other words, they created a scanner. They, they created a scanner model that is advanced enough to do everything they needed it to do, but the AI in it is too smart and it gets too right. close to the truth. So they just made an execution robot that kills it every time it gets too close to the truth, and then they just keep oh. it around for the years that it's not getting too close to the truth. Yeah, and the and, and so the thing that's is why like two B is super mean to him throughout yeah. the course of the game because she has to kill him. Like, I don't want to get close to you because I know I'm going to kill you at some point yes and there's this beautiful little thing in there where 9s thinks that he wants everyone to call him nines and he's like oh pe people call me nines everyone calls me nines no one calls him that except for 2b right before she kills him every single time and Jeez. it's like fucking amazing it's amazing writing that is amazing yeah, writing that's really good <laughs> i feel like yokotaro just like i mean i don't know how much of it is him uh there have been different writers on mir and drakengard but like Let's say him and his sort of cohort that write these games. Yeah, I don't want to credit it completely. An to one amazing guy. instinct for like scenario building. Yeah, because um, it's not necessarily even just the moment-to-moment -moment writing, which I think is good, but like sort of the constructs they set up are always so interesting because 
I feel like because they hew so close to a pretty traditional form of sci-fi, uh, in this case especially, but then or like the the aesthetic or the look of it is so sort of like Arthur C. Clarke, Isaac Asimov, like androids, that sort of thing. And then just the the directions they spin it out from there, you know, inspired by this sort of 19th and early 20th century philosophy, mostly um, are so it's just real. I find it very enviable (laughs) as a person who likes to write things. Like I always say, like the ability just to come up with a lot of stuff is like, I feel like an undervalued skill as a writer. You mean stuff that fits together well and Not resonates. even necessarily. Just to put a lot of stuff on the page and that it comes together as well as it does is obviously like a testament to their like. Uh, but like uh, you go through this game essentially seeing these little like – you're almost like being shuttled between um, like philosophical plays. Yeah. It's like theater. Uh, so like just the fact like this is not a game where you're like sort of playing like a Gears of War like here's my plot and we go from A to B to C to D on the plot and like we want to find my wife or whatever like that's not what the game is about the game is about like putting you in these little chunks well you're ruminating on like a certain set of ideals ideas and circumstances it's just like like, it almost feels like right like like that's kind of like performance art or like theater you know what I mean in a much different I, way than than a video game, which is much more like a narrative story. There is a narrative story in Nier. There's like sort of, yes, there is like a, a linear through line to the story, but it is built on these sort of formative experiences that are like kind of like Shakespeare in the park or something. <laughs> like, you know, like you're getting these chunklets of these societies and the ruminations on them. Yeah, yeah. Um <clears throat> speak, speak, going down that road a little bit, um, one thing I wanted to recommend for people if they haven't read it. Uh, so th- this game, um, weirdly, the thing that it reminds me of the most uh, in terms of the thing that comes to my mind the first when I think about Nier in terms of writing is this uh, interactive fiction called 500 Apocalypses. Uh, written by this guy, Phantom Williams, I think is his <laughs> is, is, uh, is, uh, uh, pen name. Um it is an interactive piece of fiction where you scroll through a. If you guys haven't seen this, you definitely need to see it. It's. No, uh, I haven't. It's uh, okay. So the idea is, it's an interactive piece of fiction where you are in a museum, a memorial for galactic apocalypses, and you're just going through this museum, clicking on these exhibits, and each one is an alien world, and it's apocalypse. And sometimes it's only a few hundred words. Sometimes it's a couple of paragraphs. So it's just a snapshot of the end of life on this planet. And it's 500 of them. And each one is poignant or funny or tragic or whatever it is. Uh, They're all really fucking... It's exactly as fascinating as it sounds. Uh, But... Near uh, that this game uh, reminded me of a scenario that you might see in the 500 apocalypses, um, just like that setup. There's the moon, there's the earth. In between the two, an eternal uh, war played out by uh, you know audio animatronics, basically uh, recreating the tragedies of humanity over and over and over and over and over again in an endless cycle. That is definitely something that you might you might read in this book. Uh, in this little piece of interaction fiction, uh, I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, that that it definitely reminded me of that. Um, so seek that out. Um, cool. 
But uh, so, uh, Dave, I wanted to ask, uh, did you kill the robots in the theme park? Uh, did you attack you anyone? What? Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I feel like the first time I went in there, I was like, all right, they got level numbers over their head. Like, I guess I'm going to start shooting. I didn't kill a single one. Not one. I think it wasn't until the second playthrough that I realized you didn't have to fight that tank. You don't have to fight any uh, of it. Yeah, like I, 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 the, you go back to that theme park enough that I was like, oh, these people aren't fighting me. Yeah, uh, which I noticed. Having fun yeah. and they're singing a little song, <laughs> and like that's part of like what I mean, like the Pascal's Village song, like justifies this soundtrack by itself. Like, let alone the fact that the rest of this soundtrack is so good. Just hearing like the happy little robots singing. Yeah, uh, the soundtrack's <laughs> amazing. It's really good. Yeah. But yeah, like I definitely just walked into that theme park and I was like, all right, you guys have like <laughs> health bars over your head. Let's go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and but then you, you like, I think I did have like a realization the first time I entered that area that I like killed a bunch of robots and then there was like daughter robots. And I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> and like I realized that I had killed her father and mother. But as you discovered, they don't care. Because they just get rebuilt. <laughs> and they're like, and this is like canonical in the world that like, you know, uh, they're all uploaded to the cloud and they just pop out another machine. So like they have this very, uh, you know, but do they care? Like, do they, no, they don't, they don't care. Like there, there are points in the game where I like, I one point accidentally killed a robot quest giver and I was like, what the, what do I do now? Do I reload? Cause I was like jumping off a cliff and did like a slam attack and she was, (laughs) she was beneath me and I was like, ah, Fall off that tiny ledge in Dark Souls, and then if you just like fast uh... travel or something, it comes back and it's like no hard feelings. Uh, (laughs) And like you know, there are a couple moments where they're like, "I deleted my data from the cloud, so this is my only life." Uh, Yeah, well, that's how they commit suicide is by disconnecting from the network and exiling themselves into. And that's like the whole cult. Yeah, become as gods. Become as. Is that do they feel like their lives are more meaningful in that sense? Or is it just like they just like this seems like the right thing to do? I, well, it becomes a well, it's a it's a they're looking for meaning and it becomes a death cult, right? Uh, yep. And yeah, and yes. that'll happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, what they're doing is they're just playing out human tragedies over, right. and over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, and that's sort of like the great or like not. Uh, it's like that other twist of fate is that. So these the machines that are like sort of the tin can robots are were made by the aliens to fight as proxy against the humans who had as their proxies the androids. But like as the sort of dialogue is revealed, Emil, who is this character, this tragic character from the first game, who in this is just sort of a rolling skull. Uh, <laughs> so he was originally like a little boy that was blind, um, and it was revealed that he was the super weapon. Or he was bred to be a super weapon. He, was, he wasn't blind. He was like a Medusa. So he walked around with a blindfold on because he had like turned all the servants in his mansion to stone. Uh, and then it's revealed that he's a super weapon. And to like truly unlock his super weapon powers, he has to turn into this like floating skeleton wizard with this sort of like rictus grin and the really big eyes. And like that's the mask that Yokutaro wears. Oh, uh, okay. Um. And in the he was like humanity's greatest ally in the fight against the aliens. And so the aliens, thinking that he was like the strongest weapon on the planet, started building their machines as copies of him. 
And that's why the machines look so similar to Emil's head. Oh, okay. It's because they were trying to replicate him because he was so strong. Uh, and he yeah. replicated himself like millions of times. And that's sort of his plot is like he doesn't know if he's the real Emil uh, because he's been copied. He's copied himself so many times over. Yeah, I you know, I, I would like to read uh, somebody's take on like the aliens like so the aliens are sort of introduced as uh it feels like they're in there because they have to be given the way the plot is structured and like the way things are revealed um but like it 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 cuz i feel like when you say aliens people are like what like what does that have to do with anything it it yeah, was, nece- was it's necessary to right well it's it's necessarily built into it because what happens is the machines uh reject the aliens and uh, <laughs> because they're not interesting enough, basically, the only thing that yeah, they're interested in, in the, far past. the only thing they're interested in is planetary domination. So the machines kill them and base their society on humanity, which is dramatically more mysterious and interesting. Huh. Uh, and that is a plot device that uh, is attached to the two lead uh, villains yeah, it, for most it's of the game. Quickly revealed, yeah, within, like the first ten hours of the game, yeah, faster. They're like. Oh, no, the aliens have been dead for thousands and thousands of years. Like, we killed them. They were, like, barely more than plants by your standard. Yeah. So, all they did was consume. They were kind of – they were essentially – they even look kind of like the uh, uh, the Independence Day aliens. Like, so a humanity, bit. though, got wiped out in that conflict or sort of afterwards? By their own hand, largely. By their, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, that, that actually – that – feel like that's a lot more poignant given the uh yeah so basically what you're left with are these two proxy armies yeah right are fighting this war that they have no stake in well it's two proxy armies that ultimately were created by the same person uh like the not same person but the same faction uh Mm. like it's my understanding that the aliens did not build the machines well the machines are built out of the same material as the androids so it's not they're not alien technology. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, that stuff I kind of want to, like, in terms of that, like, the way that connects, it's uh, it's treated as kind of a minor thing in the story, like, not that important, that that part of it. It's it's a little bit more of the, the past of the story. Uh, but uh, I would like to read something that clarified all of that a little bit more. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's much like the, like, do machines have souls? Like, yeah. it's... It's introduced just to be quickly dismissed, to be like, it all right, felt, this is what sci-fi yeah. has trained you to expect from these yes, stories. Yes, exactly. And it, this story is not about that. We're jumping right over that question. Yeah. <laughs> it also felt like thematically it was important that the machines had made a decision that the human humankind was more intriguing to them. Like, the, Adam and Eve make that argument that, like, I'm pretty sure that's the argument that they're making, is that the aliens were boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost sorry. It's been a while since I played the game, but they're like they would be little more than plants. Yeah, by your right. Like, and so like, these they things had them. no ambition but to like consume resources. Yeah. basically. Well, and they're they're and so Adam and Eve's plan is, and, and this this will get into the end of our, our discussion here, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in, in just a second. Dave, I wanted to know: Did you have a favorite ending? That did you have a favorite ending? And like, what did you think of it? I got super mad at, like, the fish ending because I hadn't saved in a while. Okay. Uh, but that's on me because uh, it did warn me 
before I ate that fish. Uh, but much like the Simpsons, I wish I wish I didn't kill that fish. Uh, and so I ate a fish and then died because like the fish oil coagulated my machine oil and killed me. And I was like, all right, there's no autosave in this game. I lost 45 minutes of progress. Uh, so favorite might be loose. Um, there's like a sort of a favorite moment I had where if you wander through that desert enough, uh, I came upon this like sort of giant graveyard of Emil heads. Oh, really? Uh, that you don't have any context for until really late in the game when you do his side quests. And they're like, you know, the size of buildings and they're just sort of scattered all around. Uh, and it's like not marked on the map or anything. There doesn't seem to be any purpose for it. Until you talk to him for a while, like, or when you do enough of his side quest, he tells you about how he made all these copies of himself to fight the aliens, um, and because he's the ultimate super weapon or whatever. But that was like just sort of a really strange moment that eventually I think culminates in his ending, uh, which I never did because you had to be like level 99 or something. Uh, and I was like, I guess I'll go back and do these side quests after I finish the game. Uh, but the narrative momentum that built up over the course of like ending C, D, and then leading into E, uh, sort of stopped me from like, I, I went into it sort of with full, fully just being like, oh yeah, I'm, of course I'm going to do all the side quests in this game. I want to consume every little nugget of narrative content this game has to offer. Um, and going in blind, I didn't really know that things were going to turn into an avalanche, sort of such that they do, that, like, you see ending C, you immediately move to D, and from there you immediately move to E, which is the final ending, which, just like the first game, is like, hey, so, want to delete your safe? Right. Uh, and, like, I was sort of like, you know, you experience all this in about an hour and a half maybe <laughs> after like 30 some hours of video game. Uh, and I could not say no. Like I really just sort of felt like the game. Oh, you really... can't say no. You can't yeah. say you have to let it delete your save because the like, choice that it gives you is not, a, it's no choice at all. Like the way it's set up. And that's what I really like about, Video games in general, but it's it's a rare beast, and I feel like one of the people who is really good at it is Yoko Taro, is uh, syncing the gameplay experience and the narrative experience, and realizing that like those are actually the same thing, hmm. and that like mechanics play an essential part in telling the narrative of video games. Otherwise, why didn't you just write a book? Right. Uh, so like, you get to the the sort of it's like a roller coaster after 30 some hours of games, you get to the end of like this story where like to be is just gone. And like for a while you're like, well, maybe she'll come back. Uh, and you fully realize like, Oh no, she is never coming back. She's just dead. Like other video games would be like, Oh, it's me to be the one that got uploaded into the cloud. I'm safe. And yeah. I'm back to help at your final hour. Nine S and like, no, she's just gone. And like nine S is super mad about that. And he thinks it's uh, A2's fault. So he's like, I'm super mad at you, A2. And we're going to fight each other in like a fighting game stage. Mm. Uh, and you choose like which of these characters you back. Uh, and you see one of their endings where one of them murders the other one. And then it's just like, well, what now, I guess? 
uh, and they each have their sort of conclusions, which you see back to back because you can just reload your save and see the other one. And the game is immediately goes into credits from that moment, which I wasn't expecting at all. Like I assumed and like I assumed each of these things was a discrete playthrough. They were more or less in near, but near is like a series of new game pluses. Whereas these are much more like just chapters. Yeah. That like have, it's almost a misnomer to call them endings just or like to be like, I got the first ending, like, because it's really just like, isn't that what acts. the game uses? Yeah. Itself? Yeah. But like, that's legacy from the way the first near structure things where it was like you beat the game the first time and then it restarted you halfway through the game. I mean, there's and it was like, yeah. okay, now play it again with some different stuff. There's credits every time. And I got a little tired of going through the credits and everything, but, uh, it's, you know, at the very end, they make you do the ultimate credits thing. Uh, yeah. Which I thought was really amazing. And that's like what I'm sort of meant by the, like just sinking narrative and yeah, gameplay which is like they make you fight the credits which i you know is funny and cute and like a very sort of cute yoko taro or like hideo kojima even thing to do uh so you're playing like this shooter thing that you've been trained to do by 9s's hacking program which is thematically Uh, relevant yeah which in the shooting game they managed to make it thematically relevant and part of in my opinion part of the uh extremely bittersweet uh hope notes of hope that are in the in the ending hmm. um and i i just yeah dude i thought that now was all, now all i want to do is go play it so it becomes a bullet hell shooter where the credits are shooting bullets at you and you're a little ship that has to destroy each name in the credits and it gets progressive progressively harder to the point where it is probably literally impossible yeah and you just keep right. dying over and over again and you keep restarting from the same checkpoint and after probably about five deaths, uh, it's like, uh, hey, do you want to call out for help? Um, and you're like, yes, obviously. And then it gives you like all this super firepower. Well, and you start seeing these words of support from other people. Yeah. So it doesn't give you it, what it does is specifically it gives you the data from what it claims are your friends save games. Right. To come in and help you do this thing that you can't do on your own. And the music swells when that happens. And your friends come in to help you and you get all these messages of encouragement. And the game is prompting you to leave messages of encouragement for other players. And it's, and like, it's like, do you think things are, do you think life is meaningless? Yeah. And it's asking does you, like, ga- does life playing games have a purpose? Yeah. yeah. It's asking you all these fucking questions that are all relevant to the experience. And I just thought it was so good. I'm getting chills just thinking about how good that Oh, I mean, was. I, like, I, I got a little weepy. Like, it's the, it's the most recent time, like, a game got me like that where I was, like, sort of seized up a little. Yeah. Because, like, you know, you're you're so weak you can't possibly get through this thing and then it's like do you want help it asks you all these questions and then it gives you like four other ships and suddenly your firepower is enormous you can just blow through all this shit and like if you lose a ship it replaces it with another one um and then at the end it's like hey you beat the game uh by the way every ship you lost in that sequence was somebody's save data that they had to permanently delete their save data to create that ship that could only be used one time on one other person they're sacrificing to help you yeah so do you want meaning in the save data to do that it asks you right yeah and like i had gone into this 
fully just being like, oh, well, I'll see the end of the game or whatever. And then I'll just like go to the chapter select and I'll do all the side quests. And I got to this point and I was like, game, you earned it. <laughs> like, yeah. I, like, obviously I, mean, I, I wanted to leave my part. save data. It, yeah. it was, um, yeah, it wasn't much of a, deli- uh, there wasn't much deliberation. It was pretty much just, yep. Yeah, well, the other thing it tells you is that basically, like, unless you delete your save game, this cycle of violence will continue. You're yeah. dooming you're dooming the bodies of 9S and 2B to repeat this cycle forever if you leave your save game mm-hmm. intact. Uh, and I thought, like, so that is the hope at the very end of the game, is that in the fifth ending, an arc is, the plan is, an arc is fired with the collective consciousness of the machines. They don't. They don't know what's out there. They have no idea where they're going to land, where they're going, whatever. But the idea is we have a chance to learn from something that is not humanity somewhere out there in the stars. So we're just going to fire ourselves into space, our collective consciousnesses into space in the search of in, in search of a home where we can build ourselves away from this horrible, violent you know, uh, you know, uh, circular influence, uh, somewhere out there in space, maybe there's a better life for us free of this plague of humanity. And like if the, the very last ending, like it makes it out into space. And I was like, well, there's hope. <laughs> well, I, I there's hope for them. Like, you know, what's really nice about games as a medium, um, people sort of talk up choice in video games as being like our different stories are such I did this and you did this. And the problem with mass effect three was that you got to the end and you push the button and then you got a different color and that's what's wrong with it. And choice in games should mean that there are 5 million different options. And I was like, you know, I feel I re- like, I really feel like the, the choice in games is a way of imbuing a feeling in you that, um, it doesn't really matter what the eventual outcome is. It's what it can convince you of, you yeah. know, in the way that all art is kind of like a magic trick yeah. that tells you a fake story and you believe it as true. Right. So like near presents you with this thing and it says, look like you can leave this save data on your hard drive for forever. But that means that like the pretend idea of two B and nine S are still going to be on there. And, like, all this stuff is still going to be happening. Um, And it kind of asks, like, for what? Like, why do you play video games? Yeah. Is it to get a platinum trophy or is it to have an experience? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. And, it like, that ending thing is asking, like, is your experience in this moment more valuable than the potential that you might do a side quest at some point. Yeah. And like, that's what I feel like is really beautiful about that ending is like, that's a really good point. It's like, you could have something right now that is novel. Like you can have something that you will think about in a month or a year. And like, it is just a thing that will be beholden to you and you can help someone. While you do it, it puts a really sharp point on that. Uh, and on it's that, like yeah. you can take something right now, or you can think about the potential of something you might do when really you're just going to move on to the next video game anyway. 
especially in 2017. <laughs> like <laughs> you're going to go play Prey or Zelda or whatever. Like Zelda came out in the same week. Yeah. <laughs> like it's near. It's like, so it's just being like, look, it's okay. Like, let this be over. And like, I, and you know, that was something that was really sort of like, it's, it's a, it's a much more refined version of what they did in the original near, which did the same thing. Um, which was sort of like, yeah, basically like there was a character who was imperiled kind of at the end of near who had like a really bad lot in life. And they were like, look, like if you want to let her go or if you want to get her out of this mess, like you gotta, the only solution is to delete yourself from this world. Um, and like that, you know, that had a lot of power at the time, I feel. And I knew going into this, like, of course, they're going to pull the same trick. Like, of course, they're going to have you delete the save data. Like, that's what Nier's about. Uh, and so I was up until the very end of that game just being like, there's nothing they could do that could convince me. Like, you know, I've already seen the trick, basically, being like, you know, you can't you can't fool me twice. Like, you know, I've already seen or the this. same thing can't be yeah, effective. Yeah, as yeah. Effective like I'm craving twice. novel experiences here near and you're like just going to go down the same role. And it really worked on me the last time. I'm not going to lie to you, but here we are again. And like it totally worked on me again. <laughs> like, completely yeah. like without any sort of like self-consciousness on my part. Like none of the like I, you know, yeah. for like a brief moment, I was just like fully invested in this video game in a way that like I just rarely am with most art. Like it just had my full attention. Like I was not checking yeah. my phone. I wasn't thinking about the book I was going to read, you know, and so on and so on. Like, and, and so I feel like there's a lot of power in that and just being like, yeah, a book can't make you delete itself in that way. I mean, well, look, I feel like people, the interactivity of video games is often overstated. Uh, so I don't like to make, sort of sweeping claims like that because like you know it takes a lot of work to read a book too no, but that, that choice I, that, I mean i feel like that choice of deleting your like your experience with the game as memorialized on this on this on your hard drive or whatever that is a unique thing to video games like, yeah and, and that's can't. and that's really interesting that like and that's why yoko taro is like probably better at this than just about anyone else like, i mean i'm just this with maybe a half dozen other people like i'm trying to sit here and think about everything that you're just describing everything you just described like just imagine being good and smart enough to like come up with that and then execute it yeah right like the way that, yeah i mean like so like effective alien thing you know like holy how did you do this like it just feels like I I just I sit it I stand in awe of the skill that went into the writing in this game by the whole team. It's just uh just unbelievable stuff. Like I it's a, it's a fucking masterpiece that game. I, I I there's no other word for it to me. I yeah. Really great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean I just I okay, completely now I want to go play it. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you, if anyone hasn't even if you've listened to this whole thing and you didn't play the game, Go play it because our descriptions are not a substitution for experiencing it yourself. 
Um, and like I said, if you're scared of the Platinum Games action platformer thing, just put it on easy. The game lets you just walk through it and you can see all the it story. It is literally the easiest easy mode I've ever yeah. seen in a yes. game. Like, if you want it to be, like, there are a number of, like, discrete options you can use that are, like, attack for me, dodge for me. At the same, me. yeah, <laughs> on the same token, they also set it up so that easy mode is only as easy as you want it to be. If you decide, like, look, I just want to make it so I don't die as often, you can do yeah. that. If you just want to, yeah. if you want to make it so it dodges for you, you you can if you want to manually dodge you can do that too like it's very the game seems like we just we want you to be able to see the story we don't want to gate the story off from you at all and like i'm really paranoid about that i don't know what it is i think i played too many games where you get gated off from shit if you put it on easy like if you put it on easy you get to level four and it's like for the full experience play it on normal or whatever and you're like okay uh and i feel like that hasn't happened since like the mid two thousands or something. Like, yeah, I think people like they got the rid of it. Back on that. Yeah. <laughs> just like, look, yeah. you know what? We'd rather have people finish our games. And I do really like what this sort of a la carte system. And I wish yeah, more games would good. adopt that. Yeah. Of like, I don't like this specific feature, or I would like this specific feature to be a little more. Like, or like you know, having I'm things feeling beyond harassed like by the number sliders. of times. Yeah, I have to heal. Just do it. Yeah. Well, like so, and and for me personally, like the experience of playing this game was akin to walking through an art gallery installation where. You have an auteur, an artist who set up a three-dimensional space that you walk through, and maybe some of the exhibits are interactive or any or whatever, but you're walking through someone's art. And this game was very much like that for me, and I didn't want to be prohibited from seeing the next room in the installation just because I couldn't beat a boss fight, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm ready to but move also, on to the next thing. I also think that it's really probably difficult to craft an experience where it's effective even even if you do take away most of the mechanics and stuff, you know what I mean? Like yeah. for it to be effective as a video game, I mean, I, that probably speaks to how well they, how well they executed it. It's, you know, I mean like, especially, I mean, maybe it just is that the story is so powerful, but um, I feel like in a, a lot of things, like if you just, yeah, if you walked through most video games just to see the story, you would be disappointed because I guess most video game stories are kind of trash, but also (laughs) like the gameplay tends to tie into it in some kind of way that's important. So I don't know, like that's interesting that it was able to convey its full sort of like full throated and textured uh, meaning even sort of like on a sort of super easy mode. Yeah. Yeah. And which I greatly appreciated. I very much appreciated that. Um, Okay. All right. So, uh, well, you know, we got a lot of Twitter questions about E3, and I feel like maybe those will kind of uh, flesh the whole thing out. Normally, when we do one of these E3 shows, we kind of go through the press conferences, but I thought maybe this time we better just talk about the stuff we thought looked cool or good, you know? Um, Right. But uh, let's let's go ahead and get into these Twitter questions, because I feel like this is pretty much going to address a lot of the E3 stuff. Um, so, all right. Uh, first from Kaylin Evergreen, uh, what game from E3 are you most looking forward to? Uh, Dave, why don't we start with you? Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to say they, I don't even know what the name of it is, but there's some sort of pirate game 
where everybody controls a different part of the ship. Yeah. And it sounds like of the Lost Planet 2 train mission to me. <laughs> Except it's like, hey, cut you, cut that jib. Somebody unfurl the vision mass sail or something like that. And then you go on the island and then apparently you can like pull out a compass and it's like take eight paces to the to the treasure from the old palm tree or something. Uh, and then, like, you got your compass and you got your map, and like, it just sounded like one of those things that I was like, oh, somebody made like a really specific co y kind of experience that really, yeah, that sort of asymmetrical co op, I guess, where it's like everybody's got a different role. We all have to work together to make this machine work, which is like the Lost Planet 2 train level where everybody has to work together to control these different parts of this train and shoot this gun. Like it's one of my favorite experiences in video games ever. Uh, so like, I've kind of always been yearning for somebody to make that an entire game where it's like, Oh, we all have to work together to do these different roles. And we're existing in this kind of, um, you know, like more or less realistic world. Like it's not like, playing co-op starcraft or something where you're just sort of like doing a top-down map and it's like i'll make the zerglings and you make the dragoons like this is like somebody is driving the ship and somebody is firing the cannons and that sort of thing just sounds super rad to me there were two of those one was like a set built on the assassin's creed engine and the other one was like a rare like yeah this is the one made by rare uh, okay i think it's called sea of, sea of thieves, thieves or, yeah or something like, okay that's the only concern i have is i don't generally like rare games i thought <laughs> or, that game looked lame as hell really? so okay. yeah so, so. I, actually, <laughs> I just i've mostly read descriptions and heard people talk about it well that's a letdown so well <laughs> you know like what you're describing sounds like fun what they showed i was like Nah. Really? Yes, yeah, I'm getting a lot of this secondhand. <laughs> yeah, and people seem pretty hype on it. Watch the trailer. You know, I I am a I am I I kind of a grouch about it because the voice acting was really annoying and it looked kind of like oh, okay. it looked kind of sure. like like it didn't really. Eh. If I want a team but team kind of a get like, there's another one that uses the Assassin's Creed engine and that one looks like maybe it doesn't control as well. So I don't know. Mm. Also, like all this pirate stuff, like. Pirates were in yeah, vogue like a decade ago. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there are anyone's real aesthetic is, anymore. But, like... Uh, uh, Graziella, what about you? I mean, just... I guess, yeah, following on, like, that idea of the uh, co-op... Ex- varying co-op experiences yeah. uh, being exciting and trying to in- sort of... Uh, innovate there like the prison escape game looks really cool like oh yeah um so the way that it see it just seems like they're doing something interesting with um giving different tasks to your partner when you're playing and um those tasks being complementary so it's like a similar thing where it's like yeah you're you have a communal mission and you have to figure out how to do it i don't know like it just i mean i'm not I'm not super excited about it um, aesthetically or anything, but uh, the idea of the asymmetrical co-op stuff done in a way that's new or that it improves on it or does something 
different. It's just uh, I'm excited for that. I'm always excited for that, though. Well, it's it's by the people who made Brothers, Colon, oh, yeah, a, Brothers tale of two sons, a Tale of Two Sons, <laughs> which was not a co-op game, but we kind of made it one by holding each half of the controller. That's not uh, the good one. There were two Brothers games. That one wasn't the good one, right? Or no, was the it Brothers, the bro- that was the one where you, you definitely usually cried. It oh, wasn't the, was that the good one? I liked one? it well enough. It was like sort of you you played it so like the one brother was the left stick and the one was the right stick. Yeah, and then like uh, that, was that one have a hang glider in it? No, I don't remember it. I want to say no. Okay, when, one of the brothers you bury him at the end, right? Yes. yes. That's the, we must unless they both have the same twist because there were two games <laughs> that were like exactly like this, but there were yeah. two of them. Huh? I mean, maybe that it's been a long time. So you didn't like that game though. No, I thought brothers. I thought the the there was a good one and a not good one, and right. the good one was the one where you bury your brother at the end. I yeah, thought that yeah, was pretty yeah. good. I like yeah, that game. So sad. this is by the same person with like sort of. Yeah, I saw the trailer. It's, it sounds great to me, just because a way out. Yeah, like that. I that's something like with games like uh, Payday, where like I just feel like their aesthetic like completely bars me from it. But, like, that idea of, like, oh, like, having to delegate different tasks and, like, sort of the scenarios they were showing is, like, oh, you have to, like, hold up a convenience store and one person has to get the money from the clerk while, like, the other person has to distract the the customer mm. who's on the other side of the store. Stuff like that is my bread and butter. Like, I just love – I – my favorite thing to do in video games is to, like, delegate tasks. I was a raid leader for a really long time Mm. in World of Warcraft. Like, I just like making those pieces fit. Mm. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that 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 looked uh, that looked kind of interesting. Um, I think for me, it's probably, uh, I mean, boring. You know, Mario Odyssey. That's a boring choice, but it's <laughs> definitely the thing I'm most excited to play. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I was doing one of these podcasts, and I was like. I'm over Nintendo. They just do the same things over and over again. Of course, years yeah. later, a couple of years later, I'm like, this is the only thing I want. <laughs> yeah, just, I feel like that pendulum swings back every once in a while. I yeah. wonder if that happens for people in our age group specifically, or Probably. if that's universal. I mean, it when they go through periods where those games are like not particularly exciting... Uh, like I feel like Zelda got really stale for a long time, yeah. and yeah, of course it did. Mario hasn't the 3D Mario's never got stale for me. So uh, you know, I loved 3D World. I thought that game was super fun. So I imagine this new one will be super fun too. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's going to be like mind blowing or anything, but it'll probably be really fun. Uh, yeah, I feel like otherwise. Like there were a lot of like sequels that surprised me, and I could like sort of. I'm looking forward to playing, but I'm not hyped for. Like, there's another Evil Within, which I'm like, okay, maybe this time you guys oh, will that hit one, the mark. Yeah, that one was cool. Uh, or, like, they're putting Monster Hunter on console again. There's a new Metro, which, like, I didn't like the second Metro as much as the first, but I really like that. Oh, wait, no, Evil Within. Sorry, I thought you were talking about Metro. Never mind. <laughs> Evil I, I Within get, like, is, every... like, the sort of fun house, like, amusement park horror game yeah. uh, with pretty good mechanics, but aesthetics. And, like, they're putting out Dishonored DLC where you play the best character with the best name, Billy Lurk. That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, who is, like, she's, like, the she was the best character in the Dishonored 1 DLC, which was better than Dishonored 1. So to have that come out almost makes having to hear about Skyrim, like, at four separate conferences <laughs> for the 
So oh, jeez. Like more Skyrim. Oh, wait, it's more of, more of that. Are we still in 2012? Yep, like, do it. I've, I've lived in three separate apartments since the yeah. Skyrim came out. There's going to be Skyrim 4K, and you're going to have to see all these trailers again. Like, I guarantee you, 2018, there will be a Skyrim trailer for Skyrim 4K. I, bet. I mean, those games are expensive. They got to milk them for right. all they're worth. Yeah, but how yeah. much... That feels like, like, okay, no, let's just see, like... How much we can make on Skyrim now? Because like, oh, of course, yeah, this, I mean, totally. <laughs> it's gross. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, gross. Oh, it's, it's just, just it's, it's more it's yeah. exasperating. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You Paul, know, it's just business going to be business. Paul Dogger wants to know: uh, Would you play the last night? Okay, I guess we got to get into this. What are your general thoughts of the relationship of creator to their creation? So, did you guys see this whole kerfuffle? Yeah. <laughs> So the last night is a extremely straightforward looking cyberpunk pixel art thing that was made by a uh, guy who apparently has some very unfortunate political views. Uh, And like, I don't care enough about his video game to play it anyway. And his political views are also part of the story. And once that once that becomes obvious, I'm out. Like that's I mean, you can tell me to separate art from artists. But if you make a movie that is just your political views, I there's I'm not insulting anybody or doing anything wrong by choosing to not play your fucking game. And the people who sit around and complain that you're somehow being a fuck. I don't care if you think I'm a hypocrite. I'm never going to play the fucking thing. And I don't have to. And that's just kind of how I feel about it. That guy has every right to make his stupid game. And I have every right to not play it because of his dickhead attitude. So. The end, yeah. I guess. That's like I feel like no one should have to apologize for how they feel about that at all. No, absolutely not. I mean, I I just remember people seemed to think it looked interesting and it, at first, and I mean, I don't really, I didn't really have you, get why. Have you guys seen the movie Blade Runner? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's yeah. It's like we've done this. Yeah, and I mean, the description. I I actually wrote it down because I figured we might talk about this. <laughs> I mean. That And maybe it's, like, not even worth going into, but it's just, like, uh, the quote I saw was, like, that they were giving out was, human labor and creativity have been rendered obsolete by AI, so people are now defining themselves by what they consume, not what they create. Oh, what a dark, what an unimaginable dark future that is. Right? Like Nothing like our modern world. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? Like, this is a video, you're like a part of the video games sort of like community, like the, the larger nerd community. This is our present. So I, I don't, I don't see how that's all like a dystopian future. I mean, like, I guess like the idea of, creativity being taken over by by AI like piques my interest a tiny bit but like does that mean they're like algorithmically creating like I don't, like TV for people to watch yeah, like are they generated TV perce- the neural right. network because you know <laughs> well I guess like it's not AI but that's how we got American House of Cards and if that's what we're getting like <sighs> Please, humans, yeah, that continue was the Netflix to make algorithm. Yeah, like, please continue like to make art because Spacey. that is very bad. Put those hands together. Um. So anyway, I don't know. It just sounds bad, and it's I, well, like the yeah. reason that people aren't creative anymore is because they get a universal basic income, isn't yeah, that? See, that come on, I, man. All right, whatever, what bro. Did he say that? Because I couldn't find that anywhere. Oh, you couldn't. Okay. 
Well, I, I heard it. Street. If it's not, if that's maybe, not accurate, then whatever. No, 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 maybe it is. No, I didn't. I was because I had heard that 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 was like the reason, and I was like, this is both mi- misunderstands hey, man. deeply what UBI is, and also is de- just inherently uninteresting. If well, you like if you had told me the dumb shit political hot take that Bioshock Infinite was going to give me at the end, I wouldn't have played that shit either. <laughs> I wouldn't have played that shit either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, the idea that there's something inherently ennobling about, like, soulless desk jobs that make people that, – that leads to people being more creative is an interesting uh, misunderstanding of our present that uh, I would think that most people who know people with horrible day jobs would not – I don't know. Like, that's – Nobody has time. <laughs> well, it's like to like uh, make things. The, if you work a shitty day job, like I don't know. Cyberpunk <laughs> has become like purely aesthetic. At yeah, this it's point. just like, surface. Like it's yeah. like noir. Like the sort of the period that it's attached to. People have completely forgotten like the socio political themes of it. So it's like kind of no surprise that this has happened. But it's like hilarious that it's attached to this like insanely retrograde like. 1950s sci-fi like fear of communism and robots as communists and like all creative spark of man has been extinguished uh, <laughs> like it's just the complete obverse of what um cyberpunk's critiques of society are and then like the sort of hilarious irony of a game about universal basic income turning us into consumers with no creative <laughs> so instinct it is. It is from really a dude ironic. who backed a movement that at least facially, you know, aside from how it was actually about the targeted harassment of women and minorities, was purely about identifying yourself as a consumer of goods. Exactly. <laughs> like there was nothing to Gamergate on its face aside from the harassment stuff except – Stop criticizing video games. I don't want to be told the thing I like isn't good. <laughs> like, so the only yeah. thing that should matter is the market. The only thing that matters is, yes, the only thing that matters is if the don't criticize things before they come out, pay with your wallet. That's what, like, except for if you criticize things and then people's purchasing decisions are effective, some affected somehow, that that's censorship. So, like, you know, this is sort of separating the art from the artist thing is whatever. Um, you certainly cannot boycott everything in your life that does a bad thing because you will then starve to death. Like somewhere like, you know, the reality is that like boycotts are all well and good. But yes, we all like, know there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Yeah, <laughs> uh, to put it shortly. <laughs> but uh, I do feel like when somebody like so facially puts their stupid politics <laughs> like they're just incredibly dumb. and bad no but and like this also guy bad is ideas. so dumb like, like bad the tweets people dread stuff from him were like i, I have had heard feminists tell me that they yearn for the artificial wombs so they can keep drinking or smoking or working instead of being pregnant <laughs> like it's like who wouldn't want that you fucking and uh, maybe this isn't PC to say, but I take great schadenfreude in uh, seeing people who espouse, like, dumbass views like that over, like, one of the most toxic 
movements in recent history uh, crash and burn and probably ruin their shot at anything uh, because they attach themselves into a hate movement. Yeah, so I don't want to play your fucking Blade Runner game. The end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah like, sorry, dude. Maybe you should have had a little more... Yeah. Uh, I feel like, yeah, of mine in 2014, you dumbass. Also, I feel like it's an ironic, uh, <laughs> it's an ironic development worthy of Yoko Taro that like the most relevant, seeming, seemingly relevant fictional genre is the one rendered the most impotent and like meaningless and shallow at a time when yeah. it would be used in the right hands would be used to comment very deeply on our society instead the only <laughs> the only shit we get out of cyberpunk is is this and like you yeah. know blade runner 2049 which who knows what that's even i'm hoping that movie's good but like i'm not really holding out hope and like you know i like i feel like it's of course cyberpunk became just a shallow fucking nothing because of course because our dumb future <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just that, like, that Gundam meme with the, yeah. like, robot shooting over the guy's head and it says war is bad. And yeah. the guy's like, wow, cool robot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. And, and as Go for ahead. the broader question, oh, wait, no, yeah. Go ahead. As for the broader question about, like, the relationship of art to artists, I mean, it's like, I mean, again, like, that's a case by case basis. Yeah, case by case. Like, I'm, am I going to, would I, like, buy <laughs> Lenny Riefenstahl's book about Africa? No. No, I would not. Am I going to fucking, like, watch a movie by Roman Plansky? No, probably not. Yeah, I feel like my relation, like, that it, it's not only case by case, but it changes based on, like, as the years have gone by, I'm less and less interested in art by people who I know harbor, you know, really, you know, political views that I find abhorrent. You know, I'm yeah. less likely to just sit there and consume their art when there's millions, there's... Thousands and thousands of other artists that aren't going to... It's not necessarily being in a bubble because I read plenty of opinion and plenty of stuff that I disagree with. I, that's important. You need to have that as part of your diet and you need to make sure, sure that you you understand the entire situation and you're not just feeding yourself things that you want to hear. But like in the art that I'm consuming, unless this is like... I am a I am a political artist. Here is my political statement, and I'm like, okay, you seem intelligent. I want to consider your argument, and I'm interested in your art. That's like a yeah. conscious that is a conscious sober choice that I am making walking into that for my own reasons. Like I watched the movie um, uh, The Birth of a Nation, the recent one. Yeah. Uh, I watched that film because I was curious about it as a work of art, knowing the artist uh, in context, like. In context, what did he make? It turns out he made an embarrassing yeah, vanity. I heard it was just like, trash on an embarrassing life. vanity project that made him yeah. look terrible through the entire yeah. film. And uh, I, you know, that was an interesting experience. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say I separated art from artists on that one, but like mm. in that case, I wanted to engage with that piece of material in context. And like you have mm -hmm. to think about this; it's not black and white or really simple, and it is like an individual thing. Like if someone tells me like. I saw the new Mel Gibson movie. I'm not going to be like, you monster. I'm going to be right. like, how was it? How do you feel about Mel Gibson? Let's talk about that. And like, that'll be an interesting conversation. And that's okay. Right. You know, that's okay. Um, yeah. That's kind of how I feel about it. Uh, anyway, well, let's, let's move on to the next thing. A Tasty Sub wants to know, what's your dream amiibo? Do you have dream amiibos? Is there anything they haven't made? 
And what would it do in Breath of the Wild? There's a lot of Fire Emblem characters I could use. Okay, all right. Uh, My dream amiibo for Breath of the Wild already exists. Uh, It is the wolf. I don't own it. Oh, shit. It gives you a sweet wolf. It does. I have that wolf, and Jacob played a shit ton of Twilight Princess, so he had like 20 hearts. It was amazing. (laughs) That's the other thing. That stopped me more than like, oh, I'd have to pay like $30 for this thing. It was like, oh, I'd have to play Twilight Princess again for it to be any good. He only has three hearts if he didn't play Twilight Princess, really. (laughs) But but still, the only thing that could make Breath of the Wild better is having a wolf pal. I happen to think wolves are pretty sweet. I feel like DLC is coming to where you could train the dogs because the dogs respond. Yeah, you can no, pet them and stuff. And, and the they wolf, chase their tails. Well, and the wolf AI is in there. Like the companion AI yeah. is already exists. So I don't see why they wouldn't expand that because the only way you get that wolf is if you buy that amiibo. <laughs> like that's it. You can't get it any other way. Which seems like it a was waste in my to have Amazon like cart for a while. It seems like a waste to have that whole AI, <laughs> yeah. like the whole companion thing in there, and the only way you can use it is through this one amiibo. Yeah, it really, is weird, especially weird. since like the other amiibos don't do anything close to that scale. Yeah, like Good. they give you a maybe a unique item. I'll tell you though, yeah, or, or it, just like a bunch of random crap. I tell you though, into, well, I liked all that. I loved all that random crap. I would yeah, no, every time I beat the game, I did the thing where I would roll the clock forward because I was trying to get uniques. <laughs> um, but uh, the the only thing that sucks about the dog is that he doesn't follow you when you teleport. So that gets you have to tap him on there every time and resummon him every time you mm-hmm. fast travel. Huh. Um, and once he die, if he if he dies, if he falls in combat, you you don't you can't use him again until the next day. Um, so there's that, but he lasts so long, man. He fucks shit up too. Like if you haven't leveled up, like oh, man, don't make me jealous. That. It's good. If you can get a cheap, if you can get a cheap wolf amiibo, you should do it. You should go to like GameStop and see if they have one for like ten bucks for me. Do you guys ever stream Jacob playing uh, Breath of the Wild? Uh, we should. We should do no, that. No, I mean, I was just wondering because I could that because I would definitely I want to see that sweet wolf. I've never <laughs> actually seen it in action. All right, I'll tell him to do it sometime soon. Um, <laughs> right. um but I okay. Go ahead. What? Sorry. Yeah, my so mine, <laughs> mine would be mine would be Mr. Rossetti or Rossetti. I don't really know how you pronounce it. And when you would tap it in a village, it would make all the children cry. <laughs> there you go. I. I I mean, I feel like the Mr. Rossetti amiibo probably already exists. Do you think so? Does it make children cry? There are a lot of Animal Crossing amiibos, and he's a popular <laughs> character. I'm just going to say this. Please make Wand of Gamelon Link. Please. And give him voice samples. Just yeah, put it just in there. Yeah, and it says, excuse just me. Just put princess. it in there. No, no, no. <laughs> he's got to say, I'll grab my stuff. You know, he's got to have all the lines. <laughs> all the There's- lines. No actual practical use. He just no. does like a really annoying bad voice. <laughs> How happy I would be! Like the sh- I could just picture it. Like you tap the ami- the 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 wand of Gamelon, and then Link turns into wand of Gamelon. Link, yeah. with the face and everything. God, that would be good. They'll never do it. Uh, let's see, like four frames of animation. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Uh, let's see. Steve is asking anybody else disappointed that Moss, a game with a warrior mouse. Is not an adaptation of Moss Flower. I guess that's a... Is that a Redwall book? Oh, you got me. <laughs> I don't know what this dude's talking about. There's Water some, Mouse sounds so right, though. They showed a PSVR thing with, like, a Stuart Little type of Redwall kind of a thing that people were intrigued by, but it was, like, really short. 
Um, let's see here. Okay, this is a good question. Christopher wants to know, how pointless did you find the reveal of the Shadow of the Colossus remake to be? Not at all. I'm so excited about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an actual remake. Yeah, it's a right? total remake. It's not a re. It's not a, a yeah. HD thing. They remade the game. Yeah, so I'm kind of psyched for that. I'm if, stoked. If it's good, I'm excited. Because <laughs> I, mean, I was confused well, at first, because I was like, they already did an HD remake. Yeah. No, but this is uh, like, like it, it feels like the game that he wanted, maybe wanted to, like, this is the full design document. Like, this is all the left really out. cool. Like, yeah. all the left out Colossuses and everything, hopefully. Why wouldn't they, you know? Speaking of, like, sort of on the Symphony of the Night tip, there is so much stuff in Shadow of the Colossus. Like, there are all these unlockable items. You can get, like, a parachute and stuff. Like, really? if you keep playing the game. Yeah, like, there's, like, all this New Game Plus content. Uh, there's a normal and a hard mode, and every Colossus gives you a different item for beating it on both. Uh, okay. So if they, yeah, if they sort of expanded and there were, like, at least another eight Colossi that were sort of at least spec'd out for the game and dropped. So, like, if they add some of that stuff in, uh, Shadow of the Colossus is a great game that didn't run super well. Yeah. Even in the HD remake. So, like... Yeah, I noticed the frame rate was at stuff. 60 in the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, like, look, I'm totally for, like, polishing stuff beyond, like, just up the graphics. Like, HD remakes really irritate me. Uh, but, like, taking a game that had flaws and sort of, like, correcting them mm-hmm. is, like, a different matter entirely, especially, like, there's a lot of stuff you could add to Shadow of the Colossus that would be cool. And, like, yeah. if it's bad, then it doesn't ruin my memories of a really, really, really good game. <laughs> well, that's how I that's how I feel about it. Like, a movie remake doesn't take anything away from the original. And if the remake is also good, then I just win twice. So, like, if yeah. this is really good, then f- great. Like, I really want them to do this. Like, I they don't need to make Shadow of the Colossus 2. The game's, like, 15 years old, and it's on the PlayStation 2. Just remake it. Also, remake Katamari Damacy, please. Please. Yeah, I feel like that, I don't, feel like that's near universal. Like, why wouldn't they? You just need, like, a Katamari Damacy that has kind of the same graphics, maybe a little better, but is, like, a million times bigger. I was talking to somebody <laughs> random at work, and, uh, like, something, I mentioned video games, and they were like, oh, my God, I don't play that many video games, but there's, there's just one game. I think it was called Katamari Damacy. Yeah. <laughs> and it they t- because they were, t- I don't even remember who it was, but they were just like, it was so fun, it's so awesome, it's so cute. And I was like, yeah, yeah. It's it great. It's just like such a weird name for like someone who doesn't play a lot of video games to like remember so specifically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but that game hit. Like people loved it. And it, it's not available. You can't even buy, like, Katamari Damacy, like, an emulated version on PS4. Like, you know, the PS2 classics or whatever. They don't have it. Um, and that first game is, is the only like one you want. or something? Well, yeah, but you don't want the sequels. Yeah, you want the first right. one. The first one's the yeah. best one. It doesn't have, like, yeah. those really crappy, like, prohibitive time limits and all the shit yeah. that screwed up the Katamari games later on yeah, was too hard. The, the original guy only worked on the first one, really. Yeah. yeah. Like, they sort of franchised it after that. So, like, there is a distinct uh, value difference. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's the weird thing is they were like backwards compatibility. What's that? That's for stupid people who smell. And Microsoft was like, you can play Gun Valkyrie on the new Xbox. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. Like Talk about a cool. monkey's paw. Backwards compatibility on Xbox. Jeez. We haven't we haven't played we haven't bought an Xbox yet, and I don't see it happening. That's like the soon. only system we never bought. But if well, you they don't need a way to plug in a Steel Battalion controller, maybe. I mean, you don't need if you have a PC, you don't need an Xbox. Like, yeah. right? But they they made that decision. Like, they made that decision to do things that way. Like, it is keeping Halo away from me, but yeah, yeah. You know, I feel like that can't last forever. I bet Halo yeah. will come yeah, out. Like really they'll start like porting it. to PC because, like Halo is not what it used to be, and they're going to need to wring every last dollar out of that franchise. That's so. a good point. I want I them to just port. If they put Halo Three multiplayer on PC, I would be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to revisit. I've thought about buying an Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty because you see them for like. I should have bought one of the ones I saw in Japan for twenty bucks. Um, yeah, twenty bucks, good deal. I should have done it, but I, there's no room in my luggage for a fucking Xbox yeah, 360. I mean, and I think it was a Star Wars one with Connect, <laughs> which is like, oh, <laughs> oh, Connect, Jesus. Um, yeah. But uh, I thought about because there's like a ton. I'm sure like my old Xbox Live account, and I have all those old arcade games. Like I bought a ton of shit yeah. on the Xbox Live Arcade. That I would yep. love to go back and play again, but yeah. Yeah, knowing all that stuff is effectively just sitting in our closet. Sometimes it makes me feel sad. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just like, oh, it's not plugged in at all, and like not having access to that stuff. I feel like that. This is like the first time I've really had to kind of reckon with the like uh, things going obsolete, basically. Yeah. Um, versus like Super Nintendo games that you can just emulate or. Like, for the most of the PS3 era, you could play almost any old PlayStation game on your PS3. Well, if you had one of the chunky ones, one of the old yeah, ones. Yeah, until ours melted, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, Rogue of Space. What did you think of the roguelike game within a game in Night in the Woods? I only played it once, and I thought it was kind of like Shruggo. Did you actually play it? Uh, I've got... I've, done a few sorties into it. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of boring, and then it's kind of hard. <laughs> like, it's... Yeah, and I can't it's play got a, it's really like, cute. so I, I, know, um, I didn't even bother trying. It's got a great look, like a lot of, like, most stuff in that game. Yeah. Um, but, like, I don't know, it's one of those things where I'm like, there's just enough challenge here that I feel challenged to do it. But it's not that fun. <laughs> so I feel like I'll probably get, like, you know, every couple days in the game, I go in and play a level before bed. Uh and I feel like I'll get as many levels in as I do before the game ends and then never think about it again. Hmm. Wayne wants to know, is Final Fantasy Stackums, which I believe is your colloquial name for the game <laughs> World of Final yeah. Fantasy, one of the secret best JRPGs in years? Is it? Yes. Yes and no. Aspects of it are kind of so brilliant. Like, the whole stacking mechanic is kind of amazing and i'm surprised it's not in more things yeah it just ma- kind of makes sense and it adds like this element of it just diversifies your gameplay in a way that's really enjoy it can be really enjoyable also everything in it is super cute um but the thing is the combat and like the combat the system is fun like it's the turn-based, whatever, the meter speed, what do you call that? Active time battle. (laughs) There you go! I don't have any uh, technical words. Uh, Like, that stuff is is fine. It just, it gets a little samey after a while, in my opinion, and kind of boring. But 
Yeah, that's the weird thing about the game is that it's totally like a baby game in terms of like, they're like, all right, this monster cast cure. And there's like no complexity to the systems, basically, except that like it's all buried in this like incredibly obtuse rubric of like this baby sphere, sphere grid you have to fill out. Uh, and then the battles are all super boring. Or, like, I mean, they're, they're not all super boring, but I mean, like too many battles revert to like just sort of boring auto attacks, and the game coasts on its cuteness and it is so cute. Yeah, uh, and it the fan service pretty, is pretty so fast good. on that cuteness. Like, uh, and they basically pull like a couple major characters from every numbered Final Fantasy game, mm-hmm. uh, and it's very self-aware uh, and. Like there's, you know, like a Titus laughing scene and sort of stuff like that. Like it, it knows where it's bread is butter. Oh, totally. It's uh, got so much Final Fantasy sort of fan service in there that that like, I mean, I haven't, you know, I've played my a couple, my fair share, but like it's just like everybody's in there. Yeah. Yeah, I should and play it. I, I mean, I've watched you guys play it a bit and uh, yeah. I feel like it'll be at some point this year, it'll be like 20 bucks. Yeah, just yeah. no, it almost is. It's totally worth it. And then we also the the ancillary benefit is like Wayne's a really good artist, and he uh, drew us our 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 banner now for boss wars is uh, the Quacho Queen, who's <laughs> the <laughs> who's, queen of the penguins. <laughs> she's the queen of the penguins, and uh, she's adorable. Yeah, like they introduce all these characters that are like just kind of trite anime stereotypes but for whatever reason the writing really works. carries them so like the quacho queen is like this penguin princess who's like sort of just a sundere yeah. uh but for whatever reason like they write her well enough that you're like oh this is adorable uh and they do a lot of that with like the side quests like you know there's there's like this goblin princess that goes around like wanting to kiss everybody uh, and then you have to keep fighting her and she's like just Sort of keeps wanting your attention, but acting like she doesn't want it, and then like it's like you it's eventually beat cute. her enough that she's like, "Oh, we have to part now," and she keeps saying like for farewell and like goodbye, and I'm leaving now, like waiting for you to respond yeah. to her, and then like nobody pays attention to her, and she's like, "Whatever, I gotta." Go. But then you have to deal with the annoying Kingdom Hearts yeah. characters who mm. are boring and lame. There's Kingdom Hearts. Well, well it's, it's the main, Kingdom just Hearts the main characters. No, that's like, bad. Yeah, the people look very bad <laughs> i thought they were actually from kingdom Hearts. no 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 they just look like they are oh okay because if you're like sora shows up i'm like never mind i mean the guy <laughs> is basically just sora <laughs> like only the square characters from final fantasy show up uh, or from kingdom hearts show up uh, never mind sora right now you'll be like that's the character from world of final it's fantasy. lon the same person <laughs> yeah it looks like lon i mean i guess it also looks like whatever yeah i don't know like i couldn't really in good conscience recommend it but i suspect if like uh, you are a person with I like could. a kind of young kid, like six to ten range. You could like play it with them, and then you could get them through like the boring parts, and it would be a good bonding experience. But I feel like for like a forty or sixty hour game, or however long it was, like it's. Really I think it cute, depends on how much you, you like Final Fantasy. A lot of boring. Like <laughs> if you like Final Fantasy, and you're going to get a lot out of like those character interactions, absolutely. The like, fact that you can transmute the behemoth into a baby behemoth, and it's like the size of a pea, and it's like so adorable. Did you guys, baby Tom Barry stabs you with his little knife. <laughs> did you guys finish fifteen? Yes. yes, but the old one, not the re-release of the actual 
story. Not the one where they patch the story in. <laughs> okay. Because I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about doing that next. Because I, I got about s- halfway through it, but didn't get to the part that they fixed up. If oh, you're good. halfway through it, you're actually like nine tenths of the way through it. Oh, well, really? No, not if they change that around. Well, I don't know how much I they think, added. Didn't they flesh out the ending? I'm in like I chapter don't... six. Yeah, I feel like you're right before it gets linear and there's like 10 to 15 hours left in the game. Cool. All right. Well, then I'll finish it's it. It's like out. a water slide from that point. Well, yeah. it may have changed, though. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I want to get back to that. Right I, when it came out. I bought that game digitally, and like the thing with digital games is I forget that I have them. And, mm-hmm. You know, like I have a library on my PS4, and there's probably like all kinds of treasures in there that I've bought that I don't remember I have. And I was like, well, I knew I was going to play a video game. What was I? Well, I don't remember what it was, and like, the box isn't sitting out. So back to Dead Cells for the hundredth time. Um, <laughs> That's the other thing is like the old faithful. Yeah. Right. Overwatch you could just fall into for 15 minutes. Yeah, I still play plenty of Overwatch, so that's always the standby. Uh, Ogan asks, are you looking forward to shooting Nazis in Wolfenstein 2? Great, me too. Okay, he assumes our answer was yes. Um, I mean, like, so that game looks... I You know, it looks fun. I... I I I guess I'll maybe I'll watch someone play through it. The first the the old Wolf the 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 recent Wolfenstein games give me really bad motion sickness, so um. I'm not sure that this one would do the same. But like Doom was a really good experience, but it made me kind of motion sick. So I might just wait. I don't know. What do you get? What did you guys? Did you watch that trailer? Uh, that was one of the few trailers I did watch. Yeah. Um, and I I don't know if I'd say I really liked the Wolfenstein reboot. But it was way better than it had any right to be. It was good. It was surprisingly well written um, and kind of like much more thoughtful than you would expect those games to be. And it was also like it just it was one of those games that just felt really good in your hands. Like like there was just it was very kinetic and like the sort of giving you the ability to dual wield everything. uh, it, It was just kind of carnage in a way that shooters aren't that much these days, except that like the new Dune came out and that was kind of felt like the apex of that. Uh, so I would certainly be willing to give them the benefit of the doubt when it comes to like making a good game about killing Nazis, certainly way more than like a new call of duty or something like that for them to actually like tell an interesting story and like do, sort of do this alternate past last future thing that they did in the first game uh and i watched the trailer and i sort of wonder like there's a woman who looks like she might just be angela davis <laughs> who is still alive so it would be weird if it was her but like knowing that game's like propensity for wait angela davis is in wolf the new Wolfenstein. no i'm not saying it is her but it looks like if like the last Wolfenstein game had characters like Jimi Hendrix in it. Okay, but Angela Davis is not... She's, like, a little bit more of a not... She's not Jimi Hendrix. They they have fictional characters... The, they have real people in them as fictional characters who are, like... Is she, like... Revolutionaries. Let's, let's abolish prisons and institute folk I'm just wondering if, like... I think the last game took be- place in the 60s. Wait, somebody is Angela Davis in the new Wolfenstein. Really? So I just t- maybe that would, would be awesome. Be really cool and weird she's if it a, actually was Angela Davis. She's great. I just watched that trailer and I was like, is that her? 
I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, but she's still alive, which I thought would be weird, unless maybe she's like in on it. <laughs> I really hope that someone does make the mod where every Nazi shouts so much for the tolerant left after you, every <laughs> single one of them. That would be great. Yes. Please. I mean, there has never Jesus. been a better time the, to exactly. want to murder Nazis. Yeah. So, uh, to he remind also, us the importance of shooting Nazis. Yeah, he also wants to know if we're disappointed at the lack of Bloodborne. No, I mean, if they make a Bloodborne mm-hmm. 2, great. Uh, I hope it comes out sometime in the next, like, five years. I will play it if it comes out. I'm not, like, desperate for more Dark Souls-esque action. Mm-hmm. You know? I feel like I I'm a little. almost at the point. Yeah, of- it's been a year, right? <laughs> Not yeah. quite. Like, they were coming out on a year-to-year basis, at least like a remake or something, uh, which felt like it was a little much at the time, but like I was doing a new run-through of Dark Souls 2 a couple months back, and I started to feel a little wistful. Even for Dark Souls 3, which I thought was below par in a lot of the plays, I was like man, when am I going to have this experience again of like, you know, those games give me something that like nothing else does that like just sort of exploring the nooks and crannies of a world and really learning it intimately. Mm. Uh, and like the surge just came out and that was not good. <laughs> uh, I watched like, video of that. And it looked like jank. Yeah. It's just like, you know, they, those people made the Lord, Lords of the Fallen, which was very not good. And I would say <laughs> oh. great surge to not good, which is better, but still, I only got to the second area before I was like, ah, I don't want to play this game anymore. <laughs> and I nailed it back to Gamefly. Yeah. yeah, I just I just feel like uh, Souls games are, I mean, that series for me, it's like one of the only series I play that requires a lot of sort of like technical proficiency and effort or has over the years. So I like flexing that, I guess, because I'm just like, oh, I actually figured out how to play these games and I'm sort of proud of that. So I kind of don't want that to die or to have to learn something else that's hard. So I would like more Bloodborne, please. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really at the point where like Etrian Odyssey, I was like, you guys got to stop with these. <laughs> like, I can't put like 50 or 60 hours a year into an Etrian Odyssey game. <laughs> like, I just like don't have the mental space for that. But I was a little like, I could take a year off. And like sort of see what happens because it's been almost one a year since 2010. But yeah, give it time. Those games need time. Yeah, like the other thing is like Bloodborne 2. So what is that? Is that more Lovecraftian cosmic horror? Because like Bloodborne took that idea and did virtually everything it felt like you could do with it aesthetically in that game. Like, Especially with the DLC, the DLC yeah. like really closed the loop on yeah. that stuff. So, um, and it's one like, of the best DLCs ever made. And that's one of the things about the Dark, the Dark Souls is Dark Souls Three felt like a Bloodborne remix for the most part for me. Like yeah. visually, it felt like a Bloodborne remix, and like a lot of its own style. But like Dark Souls and Bloodborne kind of combined together. Um, that's what it kind of felt like to me. And like the Gothic fantasy thing can only go so far. And like. I don't want another one of those games that just looks like that again. So, like, like I feel like they've done that, and I feel like they're bored with it. So, like, yeah. let them do something else. Like, some yeah, pick totally another genre. Fantasy. You make the, you know, use the same kind of comp, the same basic gameplay thing, but I don't know, take it into space or, like... Yeah, I'd set it in the set it in a desert environment. You know, make it kind of uh, you know pull from a thousand and one nights. You know, that would be cool. Um, yeah, I think the, 
the dream is like put those hands together from software, Dark yeah. Souls Armor Core. Uh, <laughs> you're in the robot sometimes, but then see, sometimes you got to get out of the robot. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't see like in my head. That's just gonna look like fucking Titanfall or uh, tran- <laughs> yeah. you know Michael Bay Transformers or whatever. Like what I want is that what I want is them to take another fantasy genre and 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 do what they did for gothic fantasy and and just set that team loose on on another concept and like okay blow this out and do the most amazing art assets anyone anyone has ever yeah. seen yeah. for this particular aesthetic like now that i think about it a thousand and one nights flavored dark souls would be fucking awesome so please make that <laughs> well it's just like that those are one of those groups of people that i have like more or less complete faith in yeah, yeah. Dark souls had me shook a little but or dark souls 3 but even still like you know I have a lot of hope for whatever comes next from that. Yeah, and yeah. I look, I wouldn't list. turn my nose up at Bloodborne 2, but I also don't feel like... I do feel like... Sorry, there's a bus. That's all right. Really I, do, I do feel like sequelitis is a thing, and like maybe the like rampant iteration of everything in video games isn't wholly necessary, and yeah. we could like try and trod some new ground once in a while. Well, that's not what this E3 was about. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. I like this question a lot. Uh, he wants to know, I never rolled my eyes or got weirded out by 2B's fetish-inspired design. What is Yoko Taro doing right that folks like, I guess he's he's calling on quiet for Metal Gear Solid Five here, that folks like Kojima are not? And I don't know. So, like, I I just, I, I really liked the sort of... Uh, uh, <laughs> kind of anime sexualization that also um i it, like that was that felt like his aesthetic to me like he he said in a lot of interviews like i just really like this <laughs> which okay all right you know um but it never struck me as being like creepy or uh particularly exploitative especially given that the character is never treated like she is there for you to ogle um the way that it's framed and everything, I thought, okay, this if you're going to have fan service, this is a pretty good way to execute it, I guess. And but is I, it replicable? I guess, like, so much about that. No. It's just a <laughs> feeling. It it's just a feeling yeah. you don't get. Yeah. That you do get when you look at, I guess, like, you know, at Lightning or, you know what I mean? Based, well, especially based on, I mean, like, I think Lightning looks cool, personally. Yeah, but then, yeah, like, so all too. the shit about, like, the creator and his creepiness kind of infects it. Um, I mean, I absolutely reject the idea that, like, you can't have girls in sexy costumes, but it's all in how you frame it and how you execute it. And, like, just, like, don't have uh, the vocabulary or, like, the way to actually make a principled argument for why one is better than the other or why one is not gross and the other one is. Like, it's really. It's really difficult to do. Well, I mean, it, it just yeah. the way it just doesn't feel gross. If you sit there and hash it out, you can come to a conclusion. Like I would, I, I could sit here and say, okay, here are the story moments in Metal Gear Solid Five where they made Quiet's oh, character mean, sure, feel quiet, I mean, feel gross. That character felt yeah. gross. It felt exploitative. Here are the things that made me go like, I don't know that this this storyline is not respecting this character as a human being. It's presenting her as a sex object. And that's not an interesting character to me. Not only that, it's a speed bump in this story that treats everyone else like a character. So 
there you go. There's an explanation of why I thought the, the portrayal of Quiet was kind of sexist and to be is not. Uh, you know, that that's and they could sit here and talk about, well, to be has it, it, the character has total agency and the story revolves around her making these decisions. Like it's yeah. It, and she's not presented to me as this character. This exists for you to stare at her ass. Her ass is there. You could stare at it if you want. That's not her purpose. So, like, and the, the camera away if you do. And the game, the game. Really? Yeah, if you try and get an upskirt shot, so he kicks the camera. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Although you're not, yeah. <laughs> um, I, 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 I do. There's a definite line of separation between like Kojima being like, "You will be ashamed of your words and deeds," and Yokotaro being like, "Well, I just actually really like girls," but I don't think that necessarily should be the end of the conversation either. Mm-hmm. No. And something that really frustrates me about Yoko Taro and I'm sure this like, you know, just my sort of gut, I don't know the guy, it seems like in interviews that he's one of those creators that's uh, really anxious uh, and sort of self-effacing about his work. So he has a, like, <laughs> to me, kind of an irritating tendency to round down or to like zero everything out to be like, it doesn't matter. I just like girls. That's why I did this lol. Uh, because it seems like he feels really awkward having the spotlight on him. And, uh, and I'm like, no dude, like that's what you I mean have by reasons to, you did these things and people are interested in why. And like, to a certain extent, just being like, lol, whatever high heels are cute. Like is disrespectful to people who dr- derive a lot of meaning from, from your work. <laughs> so I find that like really frustrating. <laughs> I felt like having stood around in enough art gallery exhibitions where there is explicit sexual uh, imagery as part of this installation that is trying to talk about something that is relatively unrelated, that yeah. it felt at home to me in this game. It's his, it's, 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 it felt like the artist's, it's 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 weird as it is to say an ass is his personal touch, but that's what it felt like to me. <laughs> oh, totally. Like, <laughs> you I, know? I'm not saying that there can't be like sort of <laughs> ineffable or like ephemeral things that you're just like, well, I just did this because I wanted to, or yeah. like this is sort of where my instincts lie, or something like that. But there probably aren't um, many game designers that are sort of in their own heads as much as someone like Yoko Taro is, right? Well, let me so, do- like, when he gives those really dismissive answers, I'm just like, dude, I know you have reasons for this. Like, I know you probably, like, are super neurotic and obsess about every detail. So, like... The the thing is, is that, like, I, if we're being... If I'm, if I'm laying it all down on the table here, that game sold a million and a half copies and became a phenomenon on the internet... And a lot of that phenomenon was uh, people being thirsty for the characters. And Mm. that wouldn't have happened if they hadn't looked the way that they did. And so that game was an enormous creative and commercial success. An enormous commercial success, most importantly, which means we will get more art like it at some point in the future. And if 2B's ass sold copies... And I'm going to get another amazing Yoko Taro masterpiece (laughs) because of 2B's fucking butt cleavage? Great. That's fine. <laughs> well, divorce, divorce from Yokotaro's sort of voice opinions on them. Uh, there were like a couple interviews with the character designers, which were interesting. But also, you know, I think another reason why it gets a pass, quote unquote, 
and uh, like quiet doesn't is because they actually look like they have something going on. Like there's a lot of intricacy to those costume designs. Like they're blindfolded for some reason or for no reason, but their blindfolds exist. And that's like a lot more interesting than like quiet who is wearing like torn fishnets and she might as well be wearing like a pair of suspenders topless with the suspenders over her nipples and like yeah. just like this sort of goofy cartoon like pornish design versus something that is like definitely horny online like Tubi is a super horny character design uh, but like there's a lot of intricate costuming going on there like there's a lot of detail to the fabrics and like all the little buckles on her as a 9s's clothing and stuff and yeah. like they look cool like yeah. they look like somebody who had a sense for design even yeah. like <clears throat> yeah. created a character that is something beyond like well this this one has boobs and a butt yeah. Well, and interesting, like, not all of Tubi's costumes are fan service. It's that one dress. And the rest of the game, you're in other costumes that are not super fan service y. Um, you know, the, the Yori units at some point are dressed in these, like, fascist enforcer outfits that are, like, you know, pitch black helmets yeah. and tactical <laughs> gear and stuff like that. And that's, and, you know, the rest of the, the Yori units are not, they're not all fan service up. Um, it's, it just seemed like a design choice for the character. But yeah, it, it feels really like, I don't know, like high anime to me. It's like, this yeah. is the logical extreme of where we can take anime. Like they're yeah. wearing blindfolds for no reason. And that's like, my wheel. And that's my wheelhouse. So I was cool with it. Uh, yeah. I mean, when you take it to that extent, it becomes cool. Like you're like, Oh, somebody put some thought behind this. It wasn't like, what are the trends? <laughs> Would you play the game to, this is a good question. Would you play the game to completion again? I think I, at some point I would like to, but I didn't with Nier. <laughs> like, so. I, yeah, I think I'll play this. I think I will play this game again because just because it made it, it made such an impact on me. But like, probably not for like five years. Yeah, I would really like to see some of the conclusions of the side quests I didn't yeah. see at some point because yeah. they, you know, even the, they're pretty boring as far as RPG side quests go. But I didn't the do most of them. Narratives in them yeah. are worth seeing and usually like pretty weird, and they always end in these like really sublime downers. Where yeah, like, oh, love doesn't exist. And I'm excited. <laughs> to, I'm excited to go back because I didn't get to see that stuff the first time, and it's all just kind of flavor. And I'm excited to see that when I go back through it again eventually. But. Excuse me. Probably not for a few years. Yeah, I, do. Um, I would like to, but like how you have to make time for it. Alex Osborne has brought up Beyond Good and Evil 2. Uh, and we got a few questions about Beyond Good and Evil 2. Did you guys play Beyond Good and Evil? I did. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> so, okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. Because, like, I don't think it's a very good game. I think it's, like, really boring and, like, not <laughs> fun. It's, like, a bunch of kind of. Well, you sure had a lot of ideas for this. Like, that's, like, you know, and man, that's a relief because the sequel, I think, kind of looks interesting. At least it was one of the most interesting trailers they showed. Um, did you guys watch that trailer? Yeah, I saw part of it. Well, OK, it may be interesting as a little bit of an overstatement, <laughs> but it looked different <laughs> enough. I like the furries, you know, they're cool. Uh, but there was a, it, it was like a Guy Ritchie movie. <laughs> Yeah, right. like a really yeah. try hard Guy Ritchie movie, yeah, like, like trying so hard. And I yeah. the vibe of it was kind of lame, but I, you know, it, who knows? Maybe that'll be interesting. Yeah, I mean, the first the first one just seemed to come in. It, it was in this era where, like, everybody was sort of trying their hand at making this like 
3D platformer thing that wasn't Zelda really, but like I feel like everybody was trying to figure out what was the next sort of evolution of Ocarina of Time almost. And like it never felt different than all those other games like Star Fox Adventure that came out at that time to me. Like, or I mean, it was certainly better than like Star Fox Adventure, which was a very bad game, but like I didn't get people's. Uh, I didn't get the allure. Like, I just felt like I was like, this is very routine. Like, it's super grindy. You have to go through all these things and collect these gigas. I didn't like the she photo. I didn't like the she photo taking. I thought the, the <laughs> controls the controls were, like, really crappy on the camera. Mm-hmm. And I would fuck it up all the time. And, uh, yeah, nah, I, I mean, maybe I'll, I was thinking about revisiting it because I don't think I played it since it came out. Um, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to boot it up and be like, oh, yeah. Oh, right. Oh, this was stupid. Yeah, like that kind of thing. That's I've never heard anybody else say like, eh. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of a really like, really like I wouldn't. I guess I wouldn't necessarily say mediocre, but like unremarkable. <laughs> I don't know. Like, Mark it just felt like one of those games from that time, yeah. the two thousands. <laughs> Mark one two four six wants to know: Did you guys understand the references and Easter eggs to the past in Dragon Guard and stuff like that? I got some of the near stuff because I played through that game, but none of the Dragon Guard stuff. I had to go read uh, wikis and stuff. I mean, like six people have played through Dragon Guard. Yeah. Like that game hates you. <laughs> like yeah. I've tried. It's like it's borderline unplayable, um, and like kind of on purpose. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, yeah, I've mostly watched that stuff on YouTube. Um, I was a little, little disappointed that most of the near connection stuff are like data logs towards the end of the game. Yeah. But disappointment's probably a strong word. You know, they decided to make something that was like more or less discreet. And I actually, it's really cool to think of Drakengard and Nier and all that stuff existing in the same universe, but only being tangentially connected. And this guy is just sort of like making this sprawling, he's putting dots on this like 10,000 year timeline wherever he cares to. Uh, And there's like very limited connective tissue. It's cool though. It's really cool. Yeah, it's cool to like sort of have this, you know, once in a while he draws a little lore from it. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, they're only just the slight, the barest relation between them. Yeah. Okay. Matt Ellie asks, with the absence of a Smash, 4, Smash Brothers 4 announcement, I guess, do you think Smash 4? Aren't there four Super Smash Brother games? E- I think uh, uh, he's saying a port. A port? Port to the Switch. Yeah, the okay. A Switch port is less inevitable than folks generally. I mean, they're going to make a new Smash Brothers for the Switch. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah but I wouldn't think anytime soon just how the timelines of those things tend to work. I mean, it, it would make really sense if they. Into Wii U. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense. I wish they would port the Wii U one and, like, take the Wii U controls out of it. <laughs> like, just make it control, like, a normal fucking Smash game. Uh,. I haven't even played the Wii U one. I don't. Yeah. I'm so bad at Smash. Like Jacob loves it. We play it. I play yeah. with him, and he kicks my ass. And we do that. <laughs> we do that for a while. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't. I mean, the thing is, is that the they put out like really fantastic games on the Wii U that no one bought. So I would imagine they're just going to re-release all of them, which would be fine. Um, but yeah, that I mean, that would that make the most a sense. More within reason than the usual HD remake. Yeah. Of <laughs> like nobody bought this console here. <laughs> Uh, Angel XO3 wants to know why hasn't Overwatch's success led to more stylized anime style shooters by western gaming companies I don't know but you would uh, think people would copy Overwatch more often 
Maybe. I mean, I feel like because Blizzard is behind Overwatch and is able to push it with, like, they have the resources for it. You there know what are I mean? I feel like straight-up copies. Really? There's. I think it's called Paladins. It's, like, I, almost, like, one-to-one for certain characters. Huh. Uh, I really wish there were more, like, sort of anime aesthetic games rather than the anime aesthetic shooters specifically. Yeah, more than gritty war shooters with more palatable to me. Bro. Because I really like shooting stuff, but I don't like Gears of War or I don't like how Gears of War looks most <laughs> of the time. Or like my example is always Borderlands. I'm like, just make an anime Borderlands. Like, well, also without the memes, uh, just make an anime shooter thing where you level or, up. Or better <laughs> memes. Fewer and better memes. Yeah. So I, I'm in agreement, but I feel like it's just one of those things where, like, Blizzard, since their inception, is the master at taking an aesthetic somebody else already made and then packaging it to sell it. <laughs> like, that's what they did with Warcraft. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, do you? OK, Anthony wants to know if you have a favorite side quest in near. Uh. The one where you help the refugee couple escape is pretty strong. I guess my favorite is actually the one where you have to rescue the robot little girl and she asks you about sex. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That is, like, really cute because then, like, both 2B and 9S get flustered. Or 9S mostly is, like, super flustered. It's like, oh, let's talk about something else. And she's like, where do robot babies come from? And then at the end, you get her bow, and it's, like, one of the few cosmetic equi- accessories you can equip in the game. And then you, like, run a- you run around the rest of the game with this giant pink bow on your head that it looks like it's made from about 12 polygons. <laughs> like- I think my favorite was the Jean-Paul Sartre stuff, uh, yeah. where Yoko Taro is just dunking on Sartre and basically saying, like, this guy's version of nihilism is childish and both like childish, irresponsible bullshit, like specifically contrasting it with what he is trying to say. So Hmm. the typical kind of college kid nihilism that you might see, or like someone quoting Sartre to you, uh, he's, he mocks that in a, uh, a pretty fun side quest that's in Pascal's village that I enjoyed. Did you have, I, I, I'm skipping you on that one. about that side quest where it was actually, Yoko Taro's name and they bleeped it out in the Japanese audio. Something or like was that. it because they bleep out John Paul's name? Yeah, they bleep out Sartre's name to so that it's not directly just talking about him. I think I don't know. It, yeah, that's yeah. weird though. Like why? I, I you know what? I wish I could remember all the exact details. My takeaway from that was like, oh, I get what you're saying. You're you're showing me a version of this nihilism philosophy that you don't agree with. That you are specifically tearing down through these actions you're mocking it like it's not like a harsh thing it's jokes like it's right you're not supposed to take it seriously and you know that's the other thing that the the uh the panty shot stuff and the jokes and stuff like he's never taking any of this he allows the emotion to exist but there's always there's always a wink almost always a wink in there somewhere so that it is not just devastatingly like he's not elevating himself to some kind of Uatu the Watcher kind of shit where he's like looking down on humanity and prescribing something to us all like this mm. is all messy emotion that he's sharing and I really appreciated that tonally it's really hard to strike that balance when you have like these big cosmic things happening 
big, you know, giant themes about existence. And in order to come across not like some sort of weird egomaniac, you know, uh, he adds just enough levity, just enough winking in there to kind of keep the tone relatively light. <laughs> um, I don't know. What, what did you think, Dave? Does, does that jive with you? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it goes back to what I was sort of saying before. I did think he struck a good balance, and I yeah. it just sometimes kind of got on my nerves. And like, come on, man, I do. I think you did. It's one of those things where I felt like it was more like he wasn't giving himself enough credit, and uh, it's like that thing sometimes really creative people do where they're really anxious and they're like, no, 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 don't worry about any of the things I said. Nothing is important. Yeah, but 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 yeah. Uh, and I really enjoyed the game, and I don't feel like it was one of those things where I was like, oh, shut up, you're being lame. I was more like, I wish you could uh feel a little more confident yeah it's okay to take all of this you create it (laughs) it's okay to take all of this seriously but at the same time like i'm not sure that it would be as like there's nothing there's no part of that narrative where i look at it and say it would be more successful if you took this these story elements out there's nothing in the game where i feel that way and that includes the jokes and i feel like the jokes were an important part of imparting yoko taro's exact attitude about all of this stuff to me which is a very, it's sardonic. It's very sardonic. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like, it's just like, it's a weird game. And the hardest thing to do is be weird in yeah. arts. Yeah. <laughs> like, because without it coming across, Be weird successfully. Like really Self-indulgent and yeah. bad, yeah. Uh, and there are just, like, parts, like, when you have to escort that, like, troop of uh, clown robots that, like, want to bring peace to the world... And they're like, okay, but you do have to stop the other robots from murdering us on our peace parade. And they're all just like, you're escorting them, and they're all just like screaming, laugh, laugh, laugh. And like, <laughs> you're just like, and they're like, please stop murdering us. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, it's just like, you know, it is. it has a really weird tone that is kind of like <laughs> bespoke to itself um okay so uh all right well that that was our we we got a few more questions but unfortunately i think we're out of time uh, there's never enough time with you guys i always love having you on for this uh thank you so much for coming on and and talking about uh, this game and, and going through all these e3 announcements always a great time thank you very much yeah thanks thank thanks you. for having us it was really fun okay Okay, that's our show. Big thanks to Dave and Graz for stopping by. The theme song is Bucharest. It's by the band The New Division. You can check them out at newdivisionmusic.com. Don't forget, subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating or review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'll see you all next week. Bye.